Brought to you by Make Fun Network. It wasn't like Roger to make demands of us like this. Then again, we'd never done a show on something this close to his heart before. He'd gone full method actor, handing me and Lacey orders for our notes, referring to our audience as skin jobs even though that didn't make any goddamn sense. I should have known we'd be in for a wild ride when we picked Blade Runner as our next episode topic. Hi, Dave. Roger. You wouldn't come if I asked you to. Sit down, pal. Come on. Don't be an asshole. What kind of movie from the past talking about the future that is actually our present? Blade Runner fans are posting pictures, talk about its importance, what it got right, but we don't have flying cars. Embarrassing. <laughs> no, sir. Not embarrassing. Everyone likes to talk about it, and that's why you're here. Because you're going to go on the mic and talk about it. I'm not hosting. I don't like Blade Runner. Give it to Lacey. She's good. She's going to be on the episode. As long as I don't unplug her microphone, she'll be ready. I need you, Dave. The best episode yet. I need the old Dave Roldan magic. The guy who argued Blade Runner with me just to get a rise out of me. I quit when I came in here, Roger. I'm twice as quit now. Stop where you are. You know the score, pal. You're not a host. You're just a dude who hates Blade Runner and hasn't recorded his hate on a podcast. No choice, huh? No choice, pal. Yeah, Dave, I mean, if I have to do it, so do you. At least he didn't make you dress up. I mean, what is the deal with this Edward James almost get up? This hat sucks, and I don't even know origami. Now let's get going before I beat somebody's ass with this cane. Hello, friends. Welcome to Over and Fair, the final word in pop culture reference. I'm producer Roger Castillo, playing the role of host today. It's kind of weird behind the, the host. I usually do host of the podcast, but this is the first time I've ever hosted Over and Fair, so Yay. I'm excited. Is it? Is it? It's yeah. the first one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why didn't anybody? T- I would have brought cupcakes, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't know. Yeah. I've always, I like playing the role of the producer, and then Dave gave me the caveat for the today's topic to host, and I'm happy to oblige, so I'm excited. As, uh, of course, to my right is Dave Roldan. Dave, hey, welcome. How's it going? Baby's first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> As if you haven't done I know, this right? five million yeah, times before. I'm sitting here like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, Lacey McGraw wearing a berry shirt. Hi. Hi. My... <laughs> Kruger shirt. The Kruger shirt, yeah. So uh, today we're going to be discussing Blade Runner as, of course, Blade Runner was a movie that to, and for among the three of us, really has a lot of polarizing opinions, so there's plenty to get to, and there's really what what it got, in terms of the reason why we're talking about Blade Runner today is because it's November 2019, and if you've seen the film, there is a, it sets in November 2019. Yeah, so so the, the future of this movie 
is now. Yes. We are living in now. the we're we living. are living in the setting of this film. Yes. And the time. Yeah. 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 No, the setting. It's a Yeah. <laughs> it's, a car just flew by. It's a post apocalyptic hellscape. Yes, and Back to the Future is also doing the same. Back to the Future is November 20th, so prepare for all the memes that are going to come out for that. Well, the memes for Back to the Future come out, have been coming out for five years, yeah, incorrectly, here so, and there, but I've never seen one for Blade Runner. No, no. Until now. Yeah. In spite of being friends with Roger on social media. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a bunch this past week when, when we finally hit November. Like, people were waiting at their keyboard, like, <laughs> it's finally my time. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly why I've changed my Facebook uh, picture to Edward James almost, but... Uh, we're going to be talking about its importance to the genre. There is a lot of importance to significant to the movie genre and a little bit of just overall science fiction. We're going to be talking about as well, I mean, Rucker Howard, who passed away this year, and really what they got right about the future and some of the wrongs as well, and, and a little bit of twenty Blade Runner 2049, too. So so it'll be over under fair what we thought was rated and what we thought of about the movie. But before we get into all that, let's just start with the first impressions of the movie Dave what was your what did you think it was over under or fairly rated so uh listeners will not know this because how could you but Roger does uh Roger we've been friends for a long time yes uh i would say one of the very early topics of continued conversation between you and i over super nerdy shit um, apart from like the merits of the Streets of Rage soundtracks, was <laughs> was whether or not this movie was good, quote unquote. Uh, you are in one camp, <laughs> and I am in the other, and I am in the camp of this movie is vastly overrated. Uh, this was I will say this was then this was back in the back in the day in the early aughts, so not the the late teens as we are in now. Um, I. Do not understand why everyone thinks this movie is so great. I well, I'll, I'll say I'll say this in past tense. I'm sorry. I did not understand why people thought this movie was so great. I did not understand how it became so influential because Jesus Christ is it everywhere, and I've never particularly understood how it got all of the accolades it did. But We'll talk about that as we talk about it. So definitely overrated. It was like the Hatfields and McCoys that sometimes between the two of us <laughs> with that. So making an obscure 1800 reference there. But, Maybe, uh, I mean, you know, this is before <laughs> we decided to do it for the show. Yes, absolutely. Before. And Lacey, what was your impressions? Um, I've, I've seen Blade Runner before back in like, I want to say like the late 90s. So I was a lot younger and uh, hadn't really thought much about it since then. But I watched it in preparation for this show. And to be honest, I remembered a lot less about it than I thought. Um, So it didn't really leave any sort of impact on me. Um, But I'm kind of on the fence about like whether or not I think it's overrated or fairly rated. And the reason being is because people that I know who love this movie, like yourself, Roger, like think it's great and awesome but then people I I know a ton of people who just don't care about it or don't think about it or don't think that it's anything or flat out hate it um so I don't know I I think that the people who love it and think it's like the greatest thing ever are a little over dramatic I think I don't think it's that awesome but my own personal opinion on it is that it's just boring kind of i kind of think it's boring so okay overrated i suppose okay so for myself because i think you you two did a very good job of setting this up a little bit but uh 
Now, in terms of this movie, and if I think about it objectively, as I get older, if you would have met me 15 years ago, I would have said this is the greatest movie of all time. Well, start from there, then, because this is our initial perception of this movie before we talk about it. So, yeah, so about, I saw this movie in, when I was in high school, and I was blown away at that time, and because I just thought it was so different than anything I saw at that time. Later, I would not realize that. Or Can later. you give us like a circa, like circa what year was it? Circa when you 19. Saw this? Okay, I'll tell you right now. It was circa 1996. Okay, so I think that's important because it, it matters like how far out you were from like the release of this movie. Yeah, so the original movie, the release was on June 27, 1982. So sure, let's yeah, right. So like mind. 14 or 15 years after it was released, you Correct. saw Correct. And I saw. Time. To original. that end, I will say I was 12 the first time I saw this okay. movie. So it was like in the mid 90s, like 94, 95. Yeah. I would have been around like 15. Okay. 14 or 15. So. so the first time I saw it, I loved it and I was blown away by it. And then when the original, the director's cuts and all those different various cuts came out afterwards, I liked the movie even more. But then I would say about my opinion changed a little bit to about 10, about 10 years ago when I looked at it. Again, after watching a couple movies, and there's some plot holes and, and stuff we'll get to eventually here on the show. I changed it from it's fairly ra- or I, I, or excuse me, like in terms of like everybody's like talks about it's overrated. I I think a grand scheme of things, it's fairly rated. I think as a fanatical fan as I am, taking a step back and maturity and and seeing other movies, what have you, the the same kind of elk if you will i think this movie is fairly rated i think the significance cannot be stated enough there's there's certain movies that tie into this also but also in terms of how you of the visual for this time for that time too this is 1982 when i saw this movie came out in 96 this is before the matrix and this is before some of the new cgi stuff came out they did a lot with a little for and even knowing that at the time and not being a ridley scott person at all because i did i saw alien much older i didn't I don't, I'm not a big Alien fan as you are, Dave. And so for myself, this was my first really Scott introduction, really Scott. Because I, all of his other movies, which we'll kind of briefly discuss a little bit, don't care for. My first impression was it was, it blew me away as I got older, but I, I think it's fairly rated. I think it's significance cannot be stated enough. I mean, yeah. It's, I, I'm not, I'm in no way trying to argue that this movie isn't influential. I mean, clearly the proof is in the pudding. Like, right. it set the template for every sci-fi movie that would ever follow it for better or for worse i can't overstate that like like you said that's that's not really why i think it's overrated i guess what i thought what my perception of this movie was was that i didn't quite grasp why this movie became so influential because i didn't think it was that good like i i understand that the aesthetic is very intriguing but shouldn't the rest of that follow up like i feel like there should be more there and i never felt that there was i mean let's dive into the movie a little bit so the plot of the movie to be simply put is that this takes place in 2019 los angeles 2019 and Harrison Ford plays Deckard. So his de- he's a, he's a cop who is retired, and he was his specialty was hunting down replicants. So the world is full of replicants. replicants. What are replicants? Replicants are androids that are robots that are for either pleasure, soldiers, or the kind of a, like a lack of a better word actually slave models. And these replicants were made for off world so the earth is out in outer space and they're used for various things so what happens is some of these replicants are developing feelings the tyrell corporation which creates them 
puts like a lifespan time on them before they expire. Or, you know, if any of them go rogue, Deckard plays the gentleman who puts them down, essentially. He is, in other words, kind of a, a glorified bunny hunter, if you will. They have an internal lifespan that right. is set to expire. It's important to put that there because the, the, the corporation <coughs> determines that they are potentially dangerous should they live past that like they can start thinking and acting on their own accord and they don't want to do that because they are designed primarily to do things other people don't want to do right they are they are effectively slaves and the movie does touch on some of this yeah. you know secondary in the movie to like the chasing them kind of aspect of it but it's it's the thing i'm more interested in it would be it would be important to mention that this is based on a book Yes, um, when Electric Sheep Dream. Uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, written in the 60s. And that book does a lot more to entertain the concept of what is real and what is artificial and, you know, how how people process empathy and, you know, the, the humane uh, aspects of what this whole undertaking is. It does a lot more with that than the sci-fi chasing people through streets and shooting things right. aspect that this movie covers. And we'll talk about it when we talk about a bit more about the movie's impact, but I feel that the movie doesn't do enough to touch that. And that's, I agree. Yeah, that's something that I think is more I totally agree. When I was watching this, you know, in preparation for this show, I was thinking a lot about, like, this is really sad. Like, it's it's actually really sad that the replicants that he's chasing are essentially just trying to figure out how to not expire. They just want to live longer. I mean, they're going about it in questionable ways. Like, they sure, are killing people sure. and hurting people along the way, but... Really, what they're longing for is just, like, life. <laughs> they're just trying to live. They're human in almost every way, mm. you know, visually. They're a little strange. They have memories. Yeah, like, they, that are they have implanted memories, like they, yeah. To them, they are as real as the, any exactly. other person. And he, his entire job is to, they call it retire, yeah, the, yeah. the replicant in the movie. So it's like, he's doing his job, and it's, 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 it's questionable for both parties because yeah. like he's doing his job yes they are dangerous i guess to society because they they're kind of superhuman you know they're not they're a lot stronger faster and all that so they could be dangerous to humanity at the same time it's like when something becomes like aware and starts to feel things is it at that point okay to just kill them you know and i feel like yeah the movie didn't really talk a ton about that like there's sort of plot about it with like one specific replicant right but they you know he's still like hunting these other replicants as if they're lesser and it just becomes this huge i i don't know i just, i feel like they could have worked with that a lot more and it would have made it more interesting to me especially because a book like i've read flow my tears the policeman said which was a book he came out five years after he did that came out and that the movie the book is completely different in a sense of the the, the character in that book jason taylor is a like a reality tv star who wakes up with nothing and he doesn't he has to figure out how to get back in there but it's a really a world of the have and have nots which blade runner sets up I mean, very well so is that so is blade runner no that's just, that, that, that just said it just sets yeah. it up that it sets up blade runner sets up the same way where and and it was, a, the, it was something that even reading a about the sh um, on the movie itself, the the street level, and then when you see the car descend in the air, which to me was kind of almost in their way of kind of giving a nod in the book, because you see the car go up to a level where you see this beautiful view of the city, whereas beforehand you see this like gringe, grime, dirt, and it's the entryway to everything else on these buildings and these people who are living this decadent life. 
Meanwhile, you see people in the streets with speaking these the language, by the way, which is a combination of Spanish, Korean, kind of a world culture. Mm. And everybody's it's like this rhyme. But when the car descends, you get a sense of, oh, wow, there's people that, that live above. And that's how Philip Dick kind of writes his books anyways. And that kind of theme that goes across this book anyways. And that's how you see and we, the movie kicks off a little bit with even an opening scene where you had the detective had to go into the Tyrell Corporation and, and just go and discover it. It's like even then, like the the replicant has the the the, the human. Like he's just a beard. Looks at him. He just like looks. He looks gruff and sets it up. That sets it up. And so for me, as just as a science science fiction person, a little bit of cruel crude reality for what it's worth. And 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 this this like this near future thing that kind of sets it off for everything else you see that and let's let's go with that a little bit let's go with what movies that's influenced a little bit so of course there's strange days which came out in 1995 before we get going on mm-hmm. this yeah we try to structure this in like the over under and fair categories right if we're going to talk about this movie's influence would we say this is like we're going to start with fair like what is the fair assessment of this movie and we can start it that way what is fair to say about this movie is that it's incredibly influential so then we can now talk about what it has influenced yes i want to try to keep to the letter of how we break it down yeah and that's kind of like into if fairly it's fairly rated how influential it is and it leads into several of the movies that are listed there's a couple of lists out there that depends on your take on it so and I, I i went with the movies that i've seen strange days gadaga and soldier are you guys familiar with soldier at all yeah the kurt russell movie yeah kurt russell yeah. movie where he pounds to get the snake away yeah there's other movies that are uh, on this list but dave what what in terms of movies that you've seen or perhaps are not even listed on a, a list quote unquote blade runner has influence that you've seen um i mean not even just movies all sorts of shit video games television shows cartoons like this this movie shows up in so many different ways in the way that it has manifested its legacy with the the ethics of cloning and things like that showing up in games as far flung as like Metal Gear and like Near Automata and like Final Fantasy VII has like a very post apocalyptic setting that is you know the the people that live in dirt underneath the sector plates and the people that live in wealth above them like it's all of the the aesthetic of this movie is all over the place uh read some more of the movies if you have a list in front of you so i have yeah so the the movies that they're talking about that are influential with this is one of them was ghost in a shell the anime oh absolutely yeah yeah so the other one was so strange days gattaca soldier and then there was a couple other movies here that i'm just gonna pull the list real quick that involved and some of them i did not see so i admit that i really admit that but before i get to that though ghost in the shell that's an anime that was then made in a movie so is that as like does that count in the same way sure i mean well, why... yeah because the source material for yeah. the movie was yeah it's yeah definitely drawing off of blade runner so i would say yeah i mean the matrix would definitely be a movie that borrows heavily from the aesthetic of this movie about like minority report yeah totally yeah. like these that's I... what that's what i was thinking of for some reason um, i kept thinking uh of I don't, it took me a minute to think of it but luke besson should be giving ridley scott royalty checks forever for the fifth element because it's it's pretty much a straight fucking ripoff of this movie <laughs> And I like the fifth element a lot. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say that they, they are tonally the same because one is a lot more vibrant. But the setting, the costumes, the fucking gibbery languages, the score, like flying fucking cars looking the way that they are designed. That movie is Blade Runner for kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> effectively. You know, what's funny, too, is like this list. So the, the original list that I pulled up was Looper.com. And the and it didn't even match some of the movies minus the ones that we that we just spoke of. So one of them was this movie called Transfers that came out in 1984, which is a relatively I guess B, B known or B movie. And they mentioned that they mentioned a Ralph 
Wonder movie called I Come in Peace. Okay. Yeah, there I'm sure there were a bunch of yeah. imitators like immediately in the wake of this. Like that's that would just have to be a thing that I would have to have lived through because I don't remember a lot of those. And Gattaca, the thing about Gattaca too is like I Gattaca I thought took some liberties with it, but I didn't th- like in terms of maybe the the bioengineering part, but the rest of it. But Soldier, they were saying that people, David Peoples, who was a screenwriter, said that. I mean, he was one of the screenwriters with Blade Runner. He wrote Soldier in terms of a in terms of soldiers being used for combat and conquest. That principle was used in yeah, the Russell the, movie. The very the very rudimentary in engineering people as tools right. is definitely right. all over soldier or even in like the same super way. like human like robots mm-hmm. you know because the people in the replicants in blade runner aren't really like they're not like ro- robots they're yeah. just like genetically engineered people they're like created people in a lab right yeah 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 they're not like you shoot them and their arm falls off and it's like sparks and socks. Right. You know? Yeah. It's no, like it's people. an actual like bleeding, bleeding yeah. hearts and things like that. Dark City, which is a movie. Oh I my did god, see. I love Dark yeah, City. Dark City. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it since since it came out. Yeah, these are movies. A lot of this is tone. Like a right. lot of this are movies that have been influenced visually by Blade Runner. And there's there's a lot to be said for how we picture what a future looks like from Blade Runner because it kind of made the future look the way it did. Like Blade Runner happens and now every single future when you're trying to make a point about it being terrible looks like Blade Runner. Right. Like they're all dirty, they're all grimy. Smoky, yeah. no animals. No, no, no animals, no, no life. No, it's yeah, just it's people in like buildings that. and streets and cars and filth. Like every single every single thing. Right. And there is a there is an interesting a lot of those things and there are some that just look that way to look that way. So right. like it's like a it's like a pass or fail j- case by case. Like some of them are good, some of them are whatever. I mean, the Terminator is the one where that, that comes to mind with that too. But I don't. I disagree. Sure. I, I disagree with the Terminator a little bit only because I feel like when you throw time, I guess it's throwing the futuristic, the futuristic po- post apocalyptic. Absolutely, no doubt. But the Terminator is just a time. I mean, it's more time travel than anything. But whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's they all have like a similar tomato tomato. Like, yeah, the eightiesness of them looks kind of the same. You know, there's. There's neon. There's pulsing soundtracks. Like there's. It's not to say that those movies don't don't take anything from Blade Runner. I don't know, man. There's just so fucking many movies that are just practically yeah. Blade Runner. And then the last one an example, Dave. You and I, I talked about. I'm this. actually kind of pissed that I forgot to mention this. Yeah, because yeah. this is the. This is. Go ahead. Say it first. I was gonna say Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Excuse me. Yeah. Ex Machina. Ex, Ex Machina. You and I talked about this. Is that potentially could have been a prequel to Blade Runner? This movie is dealing with all of the things I am interested in dealing with that Blade Runner does not. Like this is talking about what it is to be human, the fundamental ethical questions of creating life only to only to limit it to how much, like to to its exploit to keep it, it right know? to exploit it and to keep it from its full potential. Like Ex Machina asks and answers many of the questions that Blade Runner sort of pokes at without really getting into the sauce. Like, right. the novel, the Do Androids Dream of Electric Sleep, does more to examine those those questions and those topics. And that is... I'm not saying it's better because it's kind of a weird read, but it is fundamentally more interesting to me than what Blade Runner ends up being. But Ex Machina doubles down on all of that stuff and is like, yes, what are the ethical questions of artificial intelligence and how it how we are as humans are using it to our advantage without considering the disadvantages and the advantages that we should be giving to the life we are creating because it's still life it is sentient so it's a whole mess of a different movie and i think it is 
beautiful and haunting and amazing. So if you have ever watched Blade Runner and liked it and have not seen Ex Machina, fucking watch that today because it's fucking great. Yeah. But that's not why we're here. <laughs> no, no. And, and Ex Machina, I think, sets up... I The reason why I thought it was a prequel is because when she gets in... Oh, well, never mind. I'm not going to Yeah, come it. on now. You don't want to spoil the ending. Yeah, people spoil Anyways, but... But a, it, it, it asks a... It sort of sets up a an interesting what if like yeah the events of this movie could take place in a near future to what blade runner ends up being like it, right. you know well to put it without spoiling anything yeah, like, like it, tyrell, it could functionally work as something similar to that yeah like tyrell corporation just takes his idea and makes it better mm-hmm. like you can you can totally see that as a possibility but yeah there's i mean westworld also too oh lot, yeah, yeah god yeah there's a lot of things that come the new westworld yeah. The, yeah the Not old the original one, with, the old one proceeds the Blade Runner movie. Yeah, those seventies which one was was uh Uzi. Yule Brenner. Who Brenner? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta say it like Yule there's Yule only Yule one way to Yule say Brenner. it. Yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. So no, and <laughs> in terms of even but Lacey, in terms of even things that you that you're interested in in terms of uh influence, what have you seen that kind of goes, Okay, I can think of Blade Runner instantaneously? I mean, honestly, I <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I am not a huge movie watcher. I'm sure, you know, you guys know this. Anybody who's listened to the podcast, if you've listened to us talk about like movies or actors, I always say this. But yeah, I mean, anything, it's kind of like what Dave said, really. Like anything that deals with like the gross future where you like look into the future and everything is just an industrial hellscape with buildings and there's like not a not a tree to be seen you know like you you have to go for miles and miles to ever even see a tree or you know everything's just weird and like city on it's like the sim city that i built to destroy when i was a child (laughs) and i could never take i just overstepped my bounds and could never take i just (laughs) built industrial centers everywhere (laughs) and i'd be getting i would i'd be getting the smog alert every every second of the game like you need to put trees in here no girl and i'm like no i'm gonna ruin it but yeah um uh so you unbeknownst to yourself also created blade runner when you were like seven yeah i did i I had no idea it's even influenced you without trying (laughs) exactly but yeah i mean any movie that i've seen that takes place in like gross dirty future is reminds me of this movie robots that are um what was that stupid will smith movie i robot Robot. yeah like oh once the once the machine becomes aware what you know what's the kind of take on that like is it right to do is it wrong to do is it just a thing that we created and we can do what we please with it um so yeah i mean i'm thinking movies like that and stuff but gross dirty future yeah and my sim city and and let's talk about that for a second in terms of the look and aesthetic to it before we move on the one thing about Ridley Scott about this movie, and this is something I'm going to stick up for him for, this is, so by the time he makes this movie, I mean, he's in, in his early 40s. So that aesthetic, or where his background came from. So this is his third movie. He does The Duelist, then Alien, and then Blade Runner. So it's a hell of a trilogy. It's a hell of a trilogy. It's a hell of a way to start off your career. And he was <laughs> only, already, only to never be as good again. But then you realize <laughs> that he was already a legend in his, he was in advertising beforehand. So sure, he, that, he, that, and that actually is important because that... Yeah, which kind of he has. If if Ridley Scott is anything, he is a very good visual director, right? Like he has a very great eye for what it is he wants to convey visually. And I feel like, generally speaking, throughout his entire career, he has shown that to be his biggest strength. And this movie obviously triples down on that. Like it's full of really good shots. 
It has really great sets and like all of the visual stuff of this movie is unquestionably the thing that is immediately remembered. Remembered, it's memorable. Sure. Is to see this movie and be like, wow, this movie looks away. Right? I can't take that away from him because Alien, being one of my favorite movies ever, also does this too. Like it's it is visually arresting in so many different ways, and he's drawing your eye all over the place to create all the tension and all the great shit he does with his with his choices as a director. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was he was in a production. He has started a production company with his brother Tony Scott, who doesn't be the director. Rest in peace. Yep, rest in peace, Tony Scott. And he started that in 1967. So for 10 years before he did The Duelist and then Alien and Blade Runner, he had an advertising background. So he, in terms of what, in terms of why even coming into this movie, there's a lot of different kind of takes at this too. Because originally, I mean, in terms of even like the the theme of why it's kind of dark, perhaps as well, is that his older brother Frank died of cancer right before this movie he started doing it so mm-hmm. he originally almost wasn't going to do it then he did it to quote a quick fix emotionally so that's something that was talked about that theme kind of the haunt like the kind of maybe perhaps a little bit set the tone for that and also harrison ford's character which <laughs> they don't advertise for killers in a newspaper that was my profession ex-cop Ex-Blade Runner. Ex-Killer. You and I were talking about, you know, Harrison Ford kind of mailed it in for this one. He's doing, he was in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, was in 81. He did the Frisco Kid with Gene Wilder the year beforehand. And he was in Star Wars, of course, in Apocalypse Now, playing one of, like, just kind of a secondary character. I mean, he's doing all this stuff, and maybe he's just exhausted. I don't know. Um, (laughs) That's a bad excuse. But there is a lot of things going on behind the scenes that I think that caused that kind of visual to take place. Sure. Go ahead. I think with Harrison Ford's performance, I know we were kind of having a a short conversation before we started recording that Dave said he thought, excuse me, he said that he thought that Harrison Ford was, like, a, a bit checked out in this film. Um, something I don't think we've talked about too much. It's like a neo-noir like tone of this film. So he's narrating it, Deckard. The, you know. yeah. Okay, see that? Okay. Not to oh, interrupt sh- you. Do we need to talk about the I fact was that say, different Not to versions. interrupt you, but you and I watch different versions of this movie okay. because the narration is not in every cut. So yeah. let's before we transition into yeah, let's touch on deep, that a little bit. deep discussions, one of the things that I feel is another thing that we can say is fair about this movie and its legacy is that the aesthetics of this movie never change. Like, it is the way it is, regardless of how you watch it. Like, which version of this movie you see. It's going to look that way. However, if we can transition into maybe the over section of of our discussion, I think something that is overlooked in watching this movie is that there are 15 fucking versions of this movie. Like... That's not, I think that's, there's that's actually bit, seven. I was going to say it's I, a I bit expanse, but it's it. not really. There are at least four that I know I have seen, and there are more than that. So I know that there is a, a baseline of like five or six actual cuts, finished cuts of this film that include alternate scenes, include seven. alternate endings. So seven. seven. There are seven goddamn finished versions of this movie across years of completing and recuts and things he's re-released and DVD releases and Blu-ray packaging. So... The movie you watch could be radically different than the movie I watched. And the movie that I watched, yeah. And it was the case this time, because you watched the theatrical cut of this movie that was seen in theaters in 1982. I watched the final cut. I've seen the original one. Mm -hmm. I watched the final cut recently, which is like the final end-all Ridley Scott seal of approval. This is the movie I wanted to make version. Right. 
And it is vastly different. And he doesn't narrate. The narration is gone. See, it's I completely like the narration. cut out of the movie. I hate the narration. I like it because this. <laughs> well, okay, so this is what I was going to get into. Now that we've touched upon the so fact here we that are. we've all seen, I'm, Roger. I'm assuming since you love this movie so much, you've probably seen both versions. Yes. I have, okay. Yeah. So I have seen. I chose to watch the like OG Blade Runner theatrical release that was released in 1982. I probably should have consulted with you guys before I. No, did no, that. this That's we're fine. doing it here. But this I think is... it's interesting. I did not realize that they were so wildly different. I just kind of thought that maybe like there would be a few additional scenes, maybe some stuff extended. But now that we're talking about it, I'm like, oh man, it's, it's crazy. But I really liked that aspect of it. How they chose to have. Deckard narrate it. It it almost it reminds you of like 1940s like film noir yes. where they're and like I, I even, totally agree with even you the costuming yep. of it. He's I think at one point he's wearing like a raincoat with like the collar oh, yeah. way oh, turned yeah. up and um Gaff that character like the the hat the coat the cane yep. and the yep. just like his whole um aesthetic and like the way he Sean, sounds Sean Young's stuff. hair yeah yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah yeah Sean Young's hair that's what I was gonna bring that up pinup yeah yeah I, mean, I had my yeah I this had my movie, notes out and then totally, I totally you are right this movie is a noir like yeah, it is it, it is a movie made of that template and I loved that and I thought that the narration added to that. It would because that it, that's <laughs> what sorry, it was in, intended to do. Yes. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah. So with that, that was a decision by the made by the studio to add that. And there you go. Oh really? All right, here yeah. we, okay, go ahead. So, but I still feel like that's not even talking about the narration. Harrison Ford's performance because they're trying to convey that tone, even with like the dialogue in between the characters, but it's also future. I feel like that made it kind of awkward. Like his performance, like he's trying to be one of those like. Hey, use guys, you know. Yeah. But also, like, it's 2019, which would have been, 40, what, 40, 30 some years in the future back then. So I feel like that kind of is what made it awkward. Like, it's not all like, wow, Harrison Ford, Harry, yeah. you know, the guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's it's a different, like, thing for him. Other people are doing that. That is part of the reason that I think his yeah. performance is so stifled. They cut a lot of it. Yeah. Um, the first Blade Runner you meet in the movie, the guy who interviews Leon, like the first replicant, it's like the opening of the movie. Yeah. That guy has other scenes in this film. They are cut. Yeah. In every up. version that I've, like, not every version, but the main two full versions. That dude's still alive. And that's, he has seen. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, okay. uh, the actor is um, Morgan Paul, and his character is Holden. Holden, yeah, 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 yeah. The one that I was thinking of the most is the guy who, the chief of police, the right. bald guy. I can't remember Him his too, name though. Right Bryant. Bryant. Like, yeah. the way he's speaking yeah. and stuff. It's, where, it's, it's way more in the tone it, of what you it, are describing. It feels yeah. like some people are more into it than yes. others. <laughs> like than some Harrison actors. Ford. Right. Like, let's yeah. just call a spade a spade. Harrison Ford, Everyone yeah. else is acting in a noir. Harrison Ford is fucking asleep. Yeah. And that is... That is something that this movie it fails at. Like it's 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 not it's not a failure of the movie entirely, I guess, but it's definitely a failure of the direction of Harrison Ford. He is not made to be in a noir the same way the rest of these people are. Like this movie feels like Do you feel like that was intentional? I don't know, because I want to say no, because the studio insisted on adding narration, and when you hear the narration it sounds like Harrison Ford is pissed in a sound booth. Like that's it's yeah, coming it, through. And now, it's now that, that you've yeah. told me that, I'm like, yeah, it kind of yeah, does. He <laughs> did not want to do it. I'd quit because I'd had a belly full of killing. But then I'd rather be a killer than a victim. And that's exactly what Bryant's threat about little people meant. So I hooked in once more, thinking that if I couldn't take it, I'd split later. I didn't have to worry about Gaff. He was brown-nosing for a promotion, so he didn't want me back anyway. 
And the and Ridley Scott clearly did not want to do it because he cut it out of the movie. Yeah. At, when he gets to his final cut, they don't want the narration in the film. Yeah. But it does lend to a more noir feel. Yeah. Like, I will it, it admit it definitely that. did for me. But it doesn't help the movie. I think it's a giant thing that hurts it. Like the the original cut of this movie is the first one I saw, and I thought it was bad because the narration is bad. Like yeah. he is totally uninterested. It's flat. The dialogue sounds wrong because it is written with it a 40s kind of feel, like a right. bench to it. Yeah. And other roles, when you watch like the, uh, the the outtakes and the deleted scenes and stuff, that original Blade Runner that I was talking about, that mm-hmm. guy is talking like a, oh, Deckard, you got to get these guys, see? Like he is, yeah. he's talking with a more flair of that kind of, like that era, sort of yeah. acting for that type of film. And Harrison Ford is not on board. Like right. Harrison Ford is there to be there and go through this movie. But he's not. He's not in noir. Like I'm just he's not acting. Curious if, like, even without the narration, if like his performance, like in the film, was intended to be like different, like to kind of like point out how different he is, or does that allude I, to something? Roger, I'm just kind of... I think you have thoughts on this. Okay. Well, I mean, in Harrison Ford, yeah, he he was not a fan. First and foremost, he wasn't a fan of the narration. He he thought it would. It, it would. He contested it. Huge. He was right to do that. Yeah. And he didn't think it was an organic part of the film. He's correct. So, yeah. So, and I guess yeah, he might have done it badly, but. Um, he said he gave it to the best. He said he gave it to the best of his exact quote. I gave it to the best of my ability, given that I had no input. I never thought they'd use it, but I didn't try and sandbag it. It was simply bad narration. He's not wrong, right. but he's also not trying. He can he can say he gave it to the best of his ability, but by qualifying it with "I didn't work on it, I didn't want it, so I just did it." That's what he's saying. And yeah. Harrison Ford not wanting to do something is akin to him hating it. Like it's it's Harrison Ford. He's a grouchy guy, right? But in terms of his character, I think he played that on purpose because it's a guy who has seen a lot and it was enough. He had enough. If you even the scene where Gaff when he's eating his ramen, just minding his own business, and Gaff comes up to him and said that Bryant wants to see him, you could just tell he's like, "I'm annoyed." He was annoyed the entire movie because he didn't want to do. He already, well, yeah, that's the whole like basis of Deckard. Is yeah, like, no, I'm quit. I'm yeah, done. done. I yeah. don't want to do this. But even when he is in scenes where his life is in peril, he seems totally nonplussed. Like, he's just like, uh, I'm being chased now. Like, I'm going to run away from Roger Howard. But also, like, I think it adds the element. He just broke my finger. Uh-uh. That I was mean, his reaction. But he, looked, but he looked horrified to me. He looked horrified. But I also think it's because there's a poss- possibility, according, I mean, the, the Ridley Scott have said that, has said this, that he's not a replicant. But it adds to the illusion that he could be a replicant the entire movie. Because it, he's so nonchalant. Nonchalant about, about, about it. Well, I, I mean, Leon emotes a lot better than Harrison Ford does in this movie. And he has like three scenes. Yeah, but Leon, and, yeah, but uh, time to die. Especially time to die. Yeah, yeah. See, it's great. Yeah. Like, he does a much better job in the two scenes that he has major lines in than Harrison Ford does through a whole fucking movie. And, but, I, but I think it's because... Mm, I'm sorry, go ahead. But they know they're replicants. Okay. And I'm they're not, becoming... I mean, I guess we can't really sit here and get... We, we could argue all day about whether or not... Right. This, yeah. this is an argument of subtext. Right. Like, what are the characters in this movie conveying? I am looking at this from a <clears throat> purely practical application of acting in a film as a Hollywood actor. Your job is to act, right? Capital yeah. A, acting. I think Harrison Ford sucks in this movie. Like, if if what his goal was was to convey that we're supposed to keep this in the air of, like, whether or not his humanity is, you know, a part of his character arc and all this shit, that's totally well and good. He still turns in a fucking snooze fest performance. Like, other characters are given the same motivations. Sean Young is doing better at being a fake person than Harrison Ford is doing at being a real person, whether or not he is a, 
a replicant or not. Everyone else in this movie is better than Harrison Ford. Flat, period. I think everybody shows detest to, towards him. I mean, look at the way him and Gaff... I mean, Gaff doesn't like him at all. Gaff gives him shit every time he sees him. We don't get enough of that, though, because those scenes are cut. Like, Gaff has a whole other arc of him being competitive with Deckard and having motivations of his own, and all that's gone. No, but I so, mean... So, like, we're bent to read this from two series... Two shots of him being on scene speaking other languages. He doesn't speak English till the end of the fucking movie, unless you see the unedited versions, in which case he does. Oh, but I meant like, but here's a here's an example when he's flying up with them in the sky, just just totally ignoring him. Even in the office when he puts the chicken omni on or the origami origami <laughs> yeah. origami, there is a sense that there's a he's intimidated. Like they they, they don't like each other. One you from fly, Gaff from Gaff. Gaff is conveying this. Yeah, conveying, but also Brian. Too Brian doesn't want it. The only reason why he's calling him out is because he knows he's the best at what he does, and Brian doesn't want him to have anything to do with him. So what you're saying is every other character in this movie is motivated and giving in performances you can read <laughs> at Harrison Ford, who is not emoting. I think Harrison Ford did it on purpose because he is he's an asshole who's been in terms of his character in terms of his character. Has had enough. But he's not even being an asshole is my argument. Like, he's just there. Everybody else makes you think he's an asshole because they are all motivated to act that way. I mean, he's an asshole when he tries to force himself upon... Sure. Yeah, you know... That's his best scene of the movie, unfortunately. Yeah, and the reason why I think he just comes across as an asshole, even when he walks in the office, too, is like, no choice, huh? He doesn't give a fuck. He's out. He's mentally checked out. I think that's the way the character's... Has been portrayed. All right, maybe, but I still think it's a bad choice. Well, I mean, that's, again, personally. Yeah. I think it's a bad choice. If that's what they directed him to do or that's what he chose to do, I thought it was wrong. It was the wrong way to play the character. This is part of what makes me think this movie is overrated. Like, something that I think is, is you know, cannot be overemphasized is that he is not here. Like, the whole movie, he's just not here. Everything going on around him is interesting, and he is just walking through it. I think the other part of the, going into the next part of the overrated part that I think is kind of what the what the, the future got right and what they, they got wrong kind of thing. Yeah, okay. That aesthetic, I think. I think sometimes I think that angle's overrated because the like, we don't really. I think because you set yourself up for failure each and every time, like the no flying sure, cars. Yeah, you know, everybody. There's been more and more articles about it as this progressed on. Some of the things they got right. I mean, in terms of replicants, right now. I mean, you see right now with some of the the androids with being created for various deviant purposes yeah i mean artificial intelligence yeah, yeah. was a was a, a more of a infantile concept not infantile sorry like a nascent yeah. field in that in the 80s and now yeah. we're in an era where it's like oh your phone can tell you all this shit and well i mean yeah. you know like geolocating like yeah I, ad, I was thinking ads. i was thinking about this a lot actually when i watched this because it's 1982 so uh, most people don't even have computers in their homes oh, absolutely. certainly not the internet right. now we have the internet in our pockets Mine in my purse, you guys in your pockets. We can talk to our TV remotes and tell it what to turn on. I was actually thinking about this as I was renting Blade Runner to watch <laughs> because I was doing it mm-hmm. on my TV without leaving the you know the house. I can just pull up a movie and rent it, anything I want. And I said to my boyfriend, I was like, did you ever think like back in the 90s when we were like begging our parents to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night that this in 2019 would be me just yelling into my remote like Blade Runner (laughs) (laughs) and it just pulls it up. You know what I mean? Because that's pretty much what happened. Find this, you know, and it made me laugh because then I'm watching it and it's like, okay, so they're doing their best to guess what stuff would look like. And obviously they have that wrong in the sense that like we're not a hellscape 
yet. Uh, it's but arguable. We're it's, it's getting not, there. It's not a post-apocalyptic hellscape. No, yeah. like some some event hasn't happened to sure. destroy the world. Well, I guess. But the mass, the the billboards, the coke. Oh yeah, oh, they yeah, got that the, spot I, yeah, the digital like, billboards yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Spot on. And I think that's where. But here's the thing. The reason why I think it's overrated is because I guarantee you, some company in 1982 saw that and go, you know what? That's a good idea. We're gonna put that. And we're gonna make that sure. pen pen the paper. We're gonna make that happen because. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, I see it now. There's ones uh, for local, locally around where we live. One of at, them got hacked. And yeah, somebody one of them played hacked. porn on it for yeah. like 20 minutes. Yeah, and, 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 which and, is the best part about digital billboards. I yeah. agree. When people hack them, the uh, but the targeting ad ads and what have you. The one thing that I would say that I, I even like the the mixing like I know it sounds like a little over a, l- a little bit understated a little bit, but the ramen and all that too. All of a sudden. What's strange is in the last five years, I see everybody eating ramen like it's crazy, like it's every, like it's commonplace more now. Sure, but the I multi- mean like fast casual ethnic food yeah. is like a new, it's like a newer thing, and this is like it's street food, like that's how it's portrayed in the movie. That yeah. exists, you know, like and in, that's existed in, in bigger for- cities and stuff. Yeah, like and in other cultures, but it is now more of a fashionable yeah. like other city thing to have yeah. like weird more food, United, carts, more food American, carts and shit. Yeah, more American thing, if you will. Even sure. Even like the censoring, like the spite, like the waving of stuff like that, that was part of the Blade Runner aesthetic. But the multicultural mix to the languages, which is something that we're doing subconsciously, for example, sure. with like, you know, variations of Spanish now and, and even English now. It's I think it's a cool note on their part to include it. Like yeah. it is it is neat when the future in these movies does things like that. And this is a Blade Runner thing. Like I'll credit Blade Runner with this yeah. because you see it in other things now where the world has become more accessible to right. everyone wherever right. you are in the world. Yeah. yeah. So when you're living in this future, it would make sense that there is just a giant mishmash of language everywhere you are. Right. Yeah. Because the world has come all over the place now. Like yeah. right. you know, Hong Kong is no longer licensed to Hong Kong. Like Chinese people live here, they live here, they live here. Yeah, because so, they're showing like even around the city there's like Asian sign like signs yeah, of Asian lettering. In different languages and, like, and in different, different languages. I, mean, I noticed yeah, a couple yeah. like symbols and stuff that I aren't like letters that I recognize. The movie is filmed in Hong they, Kong also, so that's that's probably part oh, of it. it. <laughs> but that's not actually what I think they were at. Like they no, were driving I think it, at I mean they made the a point to like yeah. stop on it. And yeah, show yeah. It. it is it's important. And it, so and then not only that, but like they show yeah, with the different languages they say are like a mixture of stuff and like he even makes um like a comment about it when Gaff is like speaking to him he has the man translate but right. then he's like no I know what he was saying right, exactly. you know it's yeah, street because... talk he says it's gutter speak <laughs> because we live in a future where people understand more than one language right fucking fathom that yeah. so that's a totally real like a realistic view of how the future should fucking be right so that's it's it's because a nice there's like more, it's like a yeah there's more cultural cultures, melting like yeah, that's just melting, what happens yeah. and that makes perfect sense I mean, in terms of where it's filmed too what's interesting about that is they did film it all in between la and england a little mm. bit because uh, with uh, ridley scott being from london they did some of the filming there but what they did was some of the old hotels and they kind of re- redesigned them and re-imaged them and they didn't have a lot to budget to work with so which was fascinating about the whole thing about this <laughs> despite is, them going over budget at points too. yeah exactly the production of this movie is a different <laughs> podcast but it definitely bears mention oh yeah we could definitely it, do one part of the reason it was such a failure at the box office is because it went over budget like it it took longer than they intended it to he asked for more money from the studio so the movie got drawn out and drawn out, and they had to advertise more for it and give them more money. So it failed on a number of flat, and a lot of people thought, faces, and a lot of people thought it was going to be a hit too. Oh yeah. yeah, there was a lot of that. Go ahead, Lisa. Before we move on too much about from the technology, I just wanted to say this because I actually like made a note about it. Was I was I love watching movies from the past that predict the future, 
but the future is now, mm-hmm. right? Like today for us, yeah. um, specifically because they try to like make everything seem so high tech, but they're still like stifled by their imagination and yeah. what they have <laughs> yeah. in front of them. Totally. So like there was a part where he hands um, the scale to a woman out on the street to see if she can identify it. And she puts it under this like like high magnifying thing. And like it's 2019. They got flying cars and all this stuff. And she's like trying to look for like a serial number for this like genetically modified scale. And it's like clicky knobs. Yeah. Like like yeah. a like an old school television like, set. Like yeah. it's not like it's not like a keyboard or like it's she's like click, click, click. Like she may as well have been yeah. adjusting the antennas on top exactly. of it. Exactly. Like reception. that's it yeah. literally looked like they made it out of an old TV. Yep, and they yep. were like, This is a prop that we're gonna make. But and certain things like that that made me laugh. When he's doing the magnifying and stuff, like he's voice commanding it, like Enhance. zoom in here, yeah. pull Enhance. back and stuff. But it kind of looks like um one of those things in a library where you look at um Old newspapers, I, I can't microfiche, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's going click 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 like stuff like that, and it's like the it's analog just, and the digital that like, come together come in a way together, where yeah. like it well, is I the future, was... but it's made from the past. Mm-hmm. I exactly. That, I always love. I, just, I, I do. It's too. just an observation that I love watching movies like that where they're like you can like. They they can only get so much out of what they, they did this know. in Alien too. Like yeah. something yeah. I love about the movie Alien is that they the future is we're in the farther future in Alien, sure, but it still looks like the seventies, right? Like, and it's not a it's not an indictment against the movie because the movie is made to feel like a retro future. Like we are the future, but it's dirty and it's bad, right? So like, there's a reason that they would use all this cheap shit because the company is clearly skimping on improvements. Mm-hmm. So we're using old machinery. It feels the same in this movie, like. You know, since this movie is kind of a spiritual, like, sequel to Alien, at least in tone, like, they're doing the same sort of application. And I also love that. I love that. That my favorite part of the technology is when you tell them to zoom in, zoom out, because that enhance. 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 And even enhance. there's a lot of there's a lot of that to aesthetic with even with like, you know, think about it, you bring up the fifth element too with the, the cart with him. Super the sushi. It's like this direct ripoff. Now, now that's all. I think oh, about yeah, now. dude. The. Yeah, that yeah. that that bears future conversation about something, but the fifth element is just Blade Runner. Like yeah. it's not even trying to hide that. But the multicultural aspect too, I did like about that, and they made a point to include that, especially with the the, the eye doctor that is in the movie and, and James Hong. Yeah, shout James out. Hong. Yeah, shout out to him. One the of the veteran movie. character actor James Hong. He's been every a lot of all my favorite eighties movies. Lopan. Yeah, you might Lopan. know him better as Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. There we go. He plays Hannibal Chu. And that's the doctor with the eyes. That right there. That part right there, in terms of the overratedness, I would probably put back into like the genetic, the the eyes thing you see in that right now with some of the like people trying to see better. Uh, this scene pretty much re- recreated in Minority Report. Also. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I would point out. Oh yeah, that's that's right. I haven't but, seen Minority Report, but kind Report. of different. Yeah, a little. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that right there, that aesthetic right there alone puts it really over the overrated part of it too, because that kind of aspect's been talked about in a lot of movies or a lot of books beforehand too even sure yeah, this is a sci-fi trope yeah you know yeah it's a definite sci-fi trope and in, 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 like you know anywhere from ray bradbury to isaac uh asimov. asimov they have used that aesthetic in some way shape or form so blade runner kind of took some liberties with that too so that's why i think that's kind of overrated because some of this is some of the some of his old hat a little bit to me maybe and, but, but this also, is, mind you this is from the 80s though like yeah. these are these are concepts that weren't in film so like they're for every every arthur c clark 2001 book there was one 2001 film and then nothing else like there was just 
a lot that hadn't been covered visually widely. Like there were some like made for TV things and some lesser things, but there weren't giant productions that were talking about this stuff because what? it wasn't super in vogue. Why does every car, by the way, in the future have like 600 other things added on top of it? And so it makes it look like, like <laughs> I've seen it before with Back to the Future. And in this car, yeah. in this case, case too where back to the future was just a probe with a bunch of stuff added onto it like styrofoam <laughs> shit on it yeah and then yeah. blade runner it's the same thing until it goes in the air and then they're like well all that stuff that looks on top of it didn't look like the same fucking car yeah, below you just want to make it seem different like yeah you, you take what works as a car and you need to future it so right yeah that's that's something something that they got right and wrong because there have been alternate periods through the time since we've been alive that cars have undergone a whole bunch of adding and taking away of shit and streamlining it or bulking it up like it's it's a fluid thing, right? So that's part of the future they got correct was that cars will be different. They don't fly. They didn't get that right. But no one ever does. They've been making flying cars since the 50s. Yeah, you know what I mean? Jetsons. Like, that's that's the future we all want. I don't. <laughs> but, yeah. hey, man, that's what everybody seems to think. Yeah. I don't want flying cars either. No. Because <laughs> I've seen the way people behave on the actual road. Oh, yeah. And Put now them all in I'm the air. Imagining, Are you like, shitting me? If you imagine, like, just a fender bender turns into plummeting to earth yeah. now, oh, you know? Man. So, like... And there's planes up there already. I mean, come yeah. on, guys. Yeah. There's stuff you got to deal with. There's a lot of stuff to deal with. But uh, so we're gonna take a we're gonna speak of stuff to deal with. We're gonna go and take a break. And <laughs> deal with some stuff. <laughs> deal with some stuff. We're gonna pay some bills, if you will. Um, I don't know why I said that, but I might I might hop online <laughs> yeah. and pay a bill. We have the technology. Yeah, we have wow. 2019. <laughs> Qvangelus. Yeah. So I'm gonna show Dave the Blade Runner sci-fi magazine that was never released to the public. Oh, so. Neat. So we'll do that after the break and stick around. Pause for station identification. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. I just want to take a second to talk to you about the rest of the Make Fun family of shows, including our newest edition, Kitty Cat Pause Cast, uh, Anachronismo, This Rules, This Sucks, and the flagship Top 5 of Death, in addition to us at Over Under Fair. Everybody has a lot of great stuff for you there and on our Facebook group, which is the Make Fun Network Facebook group. So check us out there and join in the conversation. So if you haven't already, take a chance to check out the rest of the shows and subscribe to them on your favorite podcatcher. And on with the show. And we're back. Welcome back to the second half of our show. I, I feel like I it's not like a Price is Right moment there, but... Uh, dun, 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 dun. So hopefully you enjoyed our break and you can hear from our, our, <laughs> our Patreon stuff. I hope on. you loved our break. Hope you loved our break and hopefully you hear what's going on among our... Hopefully you got yourself a nice hot beverage. Yes, there you go. Or a cold one. But it depends on what part of the country you listen to or well, the world, if you will. or Vietnam. Yeah, it might be warm where you are. Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to our Vietnam fans there. So, <laughs> But uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk back about a little bit was the actual plot itself. Very, I think it's kind of underrated because everybody talks about the aesthetic. Oh, is this the, the under then? Are we in the under? Section? Yes, we are. We you definitely think the, are. the plot is underrated. Yes, and also the the reason why we, we we've talked about the aesthetic to death a little bit, but it did win. It was nominated for an Oscar in nineteen eighty three. Sure, it merits it. It looks it looks marvelous. it is beautiful. Yes. For, I will never for take that away. Yeah. yeah, in spite of the knobs <laughs> on, the, on the technology and the yeah, but the the plot itself. Is something that you, the screenwriters involved in this too took. They took they took a little bit of what Philip K. Dick was doing and kind of added their own spin to it. They took a very very little bit of what Philip yeah. K. Dick was talking about. And it's Hampton Thatcher and David Webb's peoples. So some names that you're maybe or may or not be familiar with. They sound like some British ass names. They, they are. Like. They do sound like some British ass names. That is 
for sure. Shout out to our British ass listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to that. And also shout out to anybody named Hampton. I mean, like the only person I can think of. Presumably, it's you, British ass listeners. Shout out to the Hamptons. You all named Hampton over there. Shout out to the Hamptons, not the New York ones. Yeah. The only one person I can think of Hampton was Hampton from Tiny Toons, and that's it. Yeah, Hampton J. Pig. Yeah, Hampton J. Pig. Yeah, so, Hampton. yeah, so Hampton, uh, yeah, so anybody listening out there with that name out there. So, so the, <laughs> the story itself is, I, I, I will say this, it's underrated and it, there is some plots holes to it, if you will. Um, but it depends on what version you're watching. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, this so, is another, yeah. another part of the reason that this movie is so fucking confounding. Like, we saw two different movies, like, potentially. Yeah. Right. And when I saw this when I was young, I didn't like it and I thought it was kind of underbaked. And then I watched it again, like, in my 20s at the insistence of you, just like, no, you haven't seen it in a long time. Watch it again. And I'm like, all right. And I watched it again on, like, a director's cut. It wasn't the final version. Right. It was a DVD that had extra footage and a different ending. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit better, but still not great. It's different depending on what you watch it on. And either way, I feel like the movie doesn't do enough, like, plot-wise to be cohesive the way I want it to be. But it's, a, it's an individual thing. Yeah, and... and I kind of thought the plot was boring. I watched the original theatrical cut, and I kind of just thought the plot was, like, not enough to really grab me i wasn't like ooh, what's gonna happen next it's a it's a ridley scott problem pacing mm-hmm. and if if the oh. if what you're doing isn't like gripping enough to keep you invested in what's happening i find again this is a personal a personal thing i find he has a really difficult job to keep the actual content of his movie up to the visual parts of what is sure. so great about it. Like, Alien suffers from this, too, if you choose to let it suffer for it. The pacing is much better in that movie because mm-hmm. there's there's that sense of tension. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's tension. Like the, you never know. Yeah, the tension carries the, the rest of this movie. But if you weren't, for some reason, tense, it drags a bit. Like, yeah. I, I get that. And yeah. this movie does take a while. Yeah, and that's because the the clashing of Hampton and of Ridley Scott because that they were clashing about the movie a lot in terms of what the direction was. Really, Scott had to work over the script quite a bit because Scott was more focused on the world and aesthetic, which he proved to be correct. Shocker. Yeah, and uh, Fancher's process was about the interior drama, and I guess the production crew called them Happen Faster. Okay, that's very, that's very funny. Yeah, so... This movie was also derisively called by one critic, at least one critic that I had seen reading reviews from the time, Blade Crawler, <laughs> because, of, because of the pacing of it. That is... I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I could call well played. it Blade Crawler. It really was a snooze fest for me, if I'm being honest. And he was, I mean, in direct, it was the David Peoples, who was the other person involved in this, was involved in there because he kind of saw it from Ridley Scott's point of view. And also, in, in David Peoples' kind of background a little bit, was he was a screenwriter beforehand so and film editing, so he had some familiarity with it. So that played a part of it. He also was, later on, kind of ironic enough, he was part of the movie Soldier. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing for me. Um, I'm sorry, Roger, were you done? Where, did you want to oh, no, expand say, on that a little the, bit? The, what I expand was about the, the plot, though. Is that where sure, I think yeah. that's... I think that's where the plot okay. gets kind of mixed in or mixed up a little bit because I thought the plot, the pacing was fine. Um, I think that the story itself, too, didn't, you know, I like the fact that it didn't, and this is something that we've talked about before in other episodes where it didn't go into a, a backstory about everything. And this is before movies had to explain what was going on a little bit, which is why I think the narration had to come in. I think that's what the studio yeah. thought. The concept of like a blockbuster is still pretty new. You know what I mean? Like Star Wars has happened. Jaws has happened. And Indiana Jones too. Yeah, so like we're we're moving further away from like a thoughtful examination of whatever topics we're discussing and more into make shit happen and make it big. 
and Ridley Scott is kind of like on the precipice of each. Like he's definitely he's an of two minds kind of guy. Like he doesn't want to completely short shrift a story, but he also doesn't want to take enough time to flesh out the things that his movies are trying to do with character development and stuff where it makes sense that he would have, you know, issues with his screenwriters because they probably want to do more screenwriting. <laughs> and that's not something that I think him or or the people making this movie really wanted to delve into so that's that's a point that i always count against this movie is that it's it feels kind of jumbled that way it's interesting to consider though the actual plot of this film because i don't think enough people talk about it and it actually deserves talking about because it is interesting for me when the movie opens up it feels like it's going to just be like a balls to the wall action movie because the whole premise is they're bringing this blade runner out of retirement because he needs to hunt down uh Four is it replicants? Well, it's six. It's and initially then it's four. six, and then it's four. Yeah. Four. He's hunting down a, a group of replicants, essentially, and that to me, as soon as they start saying that, and they waste no time out of the gate, like kind of showing you here's the deal there's these replicants they're engineered people and this guy is coming out of retirement specifically to hunt them down because he needs they need him because he's so good that to me i was waiting i felt like i was waiting for like a lot of action to happen and it just doesn't i mean it does there's there's some parts with some fight scenes and some shootouts and some stuff like that and some clashing but for the most part it's him skulking around the streets looking for people, going to buildings, meeting people, you know, meeting Tyrell, meeting Rachel, and then going to apartments and doing like detective work and things like that. And I felt like hoodwinked almost. <laughs> like I was getting ready to watch an, watch an action movie and what I got was like a detective like slug, you know. I think so, that's why this movie failed. Like that That's kind of You're what being it felt sold like. a bill of goods. Yeah. Like this is supposed to be a sci-fi movie. It's exactly. like a future. It's like Oh, he has a big gun. You know, like that's right. That's kind of what audiences were expecting. And they did not get that. And not only that, but like these replicants are like essentially like superhuman. Yeah. You know, like do you could have some shit. pretty cool stuff happen there. They really didn't do a ton with that. And they focused more on like this kind of like side plot with Rachel and him and him kind of like falling in love with her, even though she was a replicant and trying to like keep her safe, which, like I said earlier, I also really wanted them to. I could have went either way with this. Like they could have expanded more on the like element of like, is this ethical to like make these people like an inner conflict with Decker since he's like kind of seeing her as more human because he's falling in love with her and experiencing all these emotions with her. So they, I feel like they could have went either way with it where they made it more of like an action, like chase sequences and stuff like that and big fight scenes and shootouts and stuff with these superhuman creatures or people, I guess. Or they could have taken it where they were exploring, like, is this okay to do? And, like, his inner conflict. But it kind of felt like they wanted to do both, and they didn't come to full fruition which, with either of them. Totally. I 100% yeah. agree with that. That is what I have discovered in watching this movie now in my life as opposed to younger. When I watched it the first time, I felt like it was supposed to be more. Like, there was supposed to be more happening. Right. And then I watched it again, older, and kind of had a predilection for a different sort of movie. And then I wanted the movie to be about the story of the characters and the examination of ethics and the humanity and all this kind of shit. I wanted that. And it didn't do enough of the action when I was younger. And it doesn't do enough of the character building now for me. So right. I'm still stuck in the same place of this movie where I don't think it's good because it doesn't do enough of either of those things yeah. at either time. And like it's 
it just it's constantly selling itself out both ways right and i i don't know if that just has to do with like what roger was saying like there was conflicting ideas with how they wanted to like write it and how they wanted it to look versus you know i mean yeah like we've said the aesthetic of it is great once you have that backdrop tell the story that's in front of it but it just seems like they couldn't choose which story they wanted to tell did they want to make it a chase movie with you know him hunting down i'm a badass blade runner hunting down all these crazy replicants and there's fights and stuff or am i exploring my love and like my conflicting feelings for this replicant woman you know if you take too much time to do that though you get a three-hour movie which we will talk about at some point soon right so i mean i mean they could have picked one or one no i I agree agree that's kind of how i feel like i don't i'm not necessarily saying they could have done or they should have done both of those things right but they could have picked one especially then you know and i I think it's because of the the reason why so many different cuts are out there and various things is because (laughs) i i think when the executives got involved then some of the notes and this is something that i i saw when i was doing research some of the executives were saying things along the lines of we need the line about three well about 100 questions and they're talking about different parts of the movie in their notes over the testing yeah and stuff. too many shots of prius getting into the sebastian's uh building Prius's. oh yeah, yeah this picture gets duller and duller every time we see it i can't can it just be black and white and undubbed save this so we can put it yeah. up before we release this because i want people to be able to read some of this stuff. Yeah. it's fun yeah and i got it yeah i'll have to show you here like production notes from yeah. the time this movie was right. made yeah, exactly. It definitely shows you, though, that this movie this movie was going to be something else. This movie probably would have been closer to Blade Runner 2049 than it would be what finished, and they did not want that. Like, this movie was supposed to be an action picture, and it never got there. And and here's another thing. That was, uh, this was Vito due to the amount of film that would have to be brought over, and so that was right there. The, the, the We talk about the hours, and the voiceover is an insult. Ouch! Yeah, it's not wrong. And and this is from January. It's funny though that the production notes would also say that since they asked for the voiceover. Yeah, exactly. That's that's just producers. Yeah, January. This is from January twenty first of nineteen eighty two. So we will definitely put that in there. But I think even after I watched all the movies versions of together, I really think if they had that movie with with um, Edward James Olmos's extra lines, and then you see his partner recovering in the hospital that whole scene if you had that all in there that's a that's a better movie that's a that's a way better movie i think that you're right and it kind of leads into our top into the conversation about blade runner 2049 which sets up the bat the stage for what you can see within this three-hour movie which is a much better movie in terms of character development and storyline sure i don't want to get into talking about that just yet though like we should we should talk a little bit about the actual nuts and bolts of this movie like the the people in it and their jobs and how the movie holds up as like an examination of a film like is the acting good you know the story is what the story is and it's kind of we've talked about it a bit some of us are looking for other things and yeah. it doesn't get there what? but i i think i think that's the biggest problem in this movie because the actual people in the movie i think largely are very good like i, I actually really enjoyed a lot more of this again watching it now i feel like that might be something also that maybe isn't as talked about well for example like sean sean young's performance is probably her best performance next well to, undoubtedly yeah i mean <laughs> like, you can talk about east Frontier all day but you know um <laughs> sure, all jokes sure. aside let's talk about what we'll kind of work our way up or top to bottom of course rucker howard sure yeah we R- haven't even talked you know, about yeah. rucker howard R- as roy batty yeah you know pr- kind of the 
de facto leader of this group of yeah. applicants. Yeah, and they looked and all and they all looked to him too. They all looked to him for advice, and he becomes like a kind of fatherly figure to him. And he does such a great job. He's the star of this movie. Yeah, like let's be fair. Yeah. He's the most interesting part of the movie. He's just going as far as he can every time he's on scene with the limits of pushing the limit of what his character should be capable of and what it thinks and how it feels. It's an inspired performance. <laughs> and then, he I mean, even coming on the stage or coming into the set, he had an entourage of weird people. He was like, that he was kind of like, he was kind of like the, the, everybody was like, oh, what's, what's this guy all about? Kind of, you know, and he, he definitely brought that presence to him. But the the liner, I mean, the tears in the rain, that line, the way he the delivers end, it. Yeah, his yeah. end monologue. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. blog but even when he goes to talk about the eyes too and he does the although it's very racist now kind of like the the asian voice like the whole with the, yeah. the eyes i still laughed about it i still laugh about it now i'm not gonna lie um but it's even even his like look you can say what you will about daryl hannah i think this is one of her first movies too but his his second in command the guy who was uh played by leon uh, brian yeah, brian yeah. james yeah brian james also in the Fifth Element. Yeah, he has a nice fun role in that movie too. Well, he plays a head sergeant. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's the the main military guy. Yeah, man, so, you're on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, and Very that sucks aloof. too. Like he sucks. And he died in '99 too. I didn't. I didn't realize. I thought he yeah, was still around. Yeah. I didn't realize he was. You know, around the time there. But anyway, I thought he was good though. Like I, I like yeah. I said, I really enjoy the opening scene of this movie where he's being interrogated. Yeah. I thought he conveyed a really good sense of what's it like t- of paranoia. That turns into the Taurus. Like, Even when he says Taurus. Was it yeah, like, oh. it's Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoy him in this movie, too. Yeah. As small as the role is, I think he does really well. And Daryl Hannah did scare the sh- I mean, you know what's funny? Sure, is, it's unsettling. It's unsettling <laughs> because then I don't see the unsettlingness until Kill Bill. Sure, because yeah. she has a lot of movies where she's like kind of a softer character. Well, yeah, she's like a she's a romance interest in a yeah. lot of things. You know, she's a pretty woman or whatever. But kill. So, her. but in this movie, she scares me, especially that sound sure. she makes. I mean, yeah, like it's it's meant to be. Like she's malfunctioning and acting all funky at the end. Which yeah, is, and like her death is so One elaborate. Of the, <laughs> just yeah, weird. I'm not gonna lie, I laugh. Oh, I did too. So hard it's at the flipping. And yeah, that. yeah, it's not. Her tongue's it's out. Weird. It's total nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I had to get a kick, and she's all painted up too, yeah. and her hair's yeah. wild. It's it's stuff, weird that so. it would go there though, because prior to that, I really like her scene with Sebastian when she first encounters him yeah. outside when of his she, apartment. Yeah, you think and she's, she's like on the playing street, the part yeah. of like a street urchin? Yeah, she's yeah. like scared. And yeah, and she's super anxious. Like, she's like, oh, I really need some food. Kind of like invite yeah. me in. Yeah, yeah, like she's she's playing it super straight, and then you see her face change when she realizes she's hooked this guy. Yeah, and like she. Like that's well conveyed. Like I, yeah. I feel like more should have been done with that character to do more for that. Yeah, she takes a total turn. It's, yeah, it's it's creepy. But like, even with the minimal amount that she's allowed to do, she does it well. Like I, I really do like the supporting cast of this movie. Like I, for all the things I said about Harrison Ford's performance, 
I think it, the movie, the performances in general are buoyed by the rest of the cast, who I think are all very good. Yeah, William, yeah. William Sanderson, who plays J, J.F. J.F. Sebastian, yeah. yes. Who, well, by the way, it's funny, when I watched uh, Batman the Animated Series, when he plays the... Ironically enough, the guy who created. Yep. Yeah, the dude creating those the replicant replicant people. They were yeah. robots. So he plays yeah. the same character. Yep. Ten... Effectively the same character. Yeah. But yeah. he plays the same thing with kind of more of a southern draw. Yeah. Batman. Yep. Yeah. But he's great. Yeah, also he... from Deadwood, he's great on that. Like he's he's a really good character actor. Yeah. He was also. It was funny too. There was a uh, the, only, the, the, the only obscure reference before that though was Newhart. Okay, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. no Newhart, like that's right? what was but... his role. In Newhart? Yeah. He played one of the brothers with a the hat. Da- one of the Daryls? Yeah, one of the Daryls. The fact that I know that right off. Yeah, Daryl, yeah, this yeah. is my brother Daryl, and this is my other brother Kudos Darryl. to you, Lucy. <laughs> you just call me Lucy? Left on Lacey, sorry. What's your sorry. damn dog's I'm name? I'm sorry, I'm hungry, I'm eating hard, sorry. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. No. And but, the only other replicant we see, since we mentioned all the other ones, uh, Joanna Cassidy, and kind of like a throwaway role. She's yeah. the, like, the pleasure model type that has like the snake Assassin, and stuff. She's yeah. Salome or whatever. Yeah. Um, she's fine. There's a hilarious bit that I watched in some of the extra features where she talks about the stunt double during her chase scene and how mm-hmm. it's like radically different. Like they have a terrible wig on her getting thrown through that sugar glass yeah. you know, yeah. at the end. And it's like, it is night and day. Like you're watching someone run and then it is obviously someone else. You're like, fucking, you couldn't got a better wig. Like, right. yeah. It's, it, it does take you out of it for All a minute. All the stuff they did to make this movie look nice. Yeah. And, and then and you can't like, find uh, a better wig. we we'll just <laughs> go buy that at the... <laughs> Drugstore around Halloween time. Wig. <laughs> and she's also in Dave's favorite shows of all time too. Six Feet Under. Oh yeah, it's a good show. Not uh, my favorite show ever. Yeah, but she's oh, under. It's really underrated. It's definitely underrated. Yeah, yeah but she's in. She's show. in that movie, or she's in that show too. By yeah. the way, you know, and the the best secondary character still is Edward James almost, and he doesn't. Is he though? I, I, I here's why. Here's why. Okay. He does a lot when you see the, ver- the when you see the more versions you see him in. But you have to see the more versions. I know, no, but even that, in the that's original the part. Even the original U.S. theatrical version, the air, the air, uh, did I say it right? The air, the yeah, theatrical. theatrical, theatrical. Version. We got you. The one that I watched. He is one of those actors with his face. Like he just, I, he does a lot with his p- posture, his demeanor, and to me, he just creates a brooding presence. To me, to me, it's just like even the way he has his cane, like the way it's just everything he he thinks about the way he his his on screen presence is because he has to go up against Harrison Ford. And, I mean, James almost wasn't really, I mean, he was an up-and-coming actor. Sure, he wasn't Harrison Ford. Like, yeah. He's not a known guy. Yeah, and know. he did a lot with just doing in, in little I'll agree parts. with you on that. He definitely, because I that's the version that I watched with, like, him only having, like, a few lines, and some of them are in, like, um, foreign languages, and they don't, I, they don't, like, subtitle it or anything. He, you definitely get a sense of, like, what this character is supposed to be, like, because of his movement, his posture, and the way he chooses to, like, move across the screen, and the way he chooses to stand, and the way he chooses to look over his shoulder, right. and things like that. So, I'll, I'll give you that. I thought that he did a, li- a lot with a little, or at least the little that I saw from that theatrical That's what, that version. is what's upsetting to me, is that there is more. Like, I, There's more. I will him, agree yeah. with you that he is compelling, but his role is cut out of this film. Like the finished product, even in the final cut, it's left so much of him out of this movie. And he actually is way more interesting the further you get into the like the miasma of what is not in this film. He's he has whole scenes with people that are just gone. And it does way more to convey a full character instead of just a guy looking around and posturing. I agree, but he I'm, does a lot with I, a little. I will not take that away from him. I'm giving a compliment to the actor. Sure, that, I like, agree too. In I, in that small amount that I saw of him in that theatrical version, like it's 
you get a sense of who this character is supposed to be with totally. even that limited amount. But yes, it's I understand what you're saying. It's a bummer that there's not more. It would have been a yeah, yeah. It would have been it would have been a way more compelling character and a more memorable character sure. if he would have gotten the scenes he should have had. Him in this movie is almost wasted because he has so much more to Question. do. In the final cut, does it end? With, like does his characters like wrap up kind of like similar as it does in the theatrical version he has the same line delivery after roy dies on the roof okay, like so roy like his... and deckard are hanging out on the roof and roy gives a soliloquy yeah and then he dies there's a longer shot of him kind of dying right and then edward james almost shows up and he says like some shit to Harrison Ford and then the movie ends. Okay. Like it's it's effectively the same. Because I actually really liked like it ending with Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Deckard does go back to his apartment and finds the, yeah, the yeah. Cra- finds it, the that, unicorn. That happened yeah. in mind, yeah. Because yeah. he goes back and but finds then it out ends. that it ends like, then. like he was there. Right. He, he that's how he finds out that he was there. Yes. And could have killed her, but yeah, let absolutely. her go. Yeah. So it's, okay. It's, I like that ending. And I, I do like, too. Yeah. I, and yeah. I like his role in it too. Yeah. Like it is a nice nod to the character at that point. That yeah. he, he, Edward James almost, has like a human a humanizing moment. Right. But I agree that it it would have been nicer to see more of like why was he? It like totally this? pays because off way me, more if you see him through the movie. For me, it was a total like what like yeah. This seemed out of character. It is for because him. in the movie he seemed kind of like this like quiet brooding mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner, who's just like he's doing no his nonsense. Job. I'm going to do my shit. Like, I'm doing my job, and this yeah. is how I am. And it pays off way more when you see the the edit the deleted scenes because there's more of that. Like there's more right. of him being like, no, I can do this. Right. I'm going to get this done. So there's more to make you think like, oh man, they better not fucking run a follow this dude. Yeah, he's going to find them and he's going to take care of this shit. Yeah. So it makes it even more interesting when you get to the end when he doesn't act on that when he right. shows him like oh, i could have done it yeah. i was here mm-hmm. but i didn't because i'm looking out for you yeah and you even know, you like, get one you know what i mean like yeah. it's effectively a head start spider-man you don't get one yeah it's too bad she won't live but then again who does the way right. that the line is delivered to and the way they kind of like made it sound faded i, I don't he's know. like yelling it from far right yeah. Yeah. yeah but it was just the way it sounded really cool it's, it's a bummer like yeah. the ultimate the ultimate stance on this for me is that it's a bummer he didn't get to do more because the character is way more interesting than the movie lets on mm-hmm. but even with what he was afforded he did a very good job yeah, yeah. that's kind of basically what I and i feel the same that. way about sean young because we didn't we'll talk about it real briefly yeah i thought she was great in this movie she's like an interesting kind of hollywood what if like mm-hmm. she was sort of touted as like maybe she's going to be something on the yeah. strength of her performance in this movie it ultimately did not come to pass. There are a lot of reasons that this happened. Chief among them, her trying to be Catwoman when they were making that Batman movie and oh, really? going about it in a really weird way. Yeah, there was a lot of her like publicly petitioning to be Catwoman in Batman Returns where she was like showing up on talk shows, dressed in outfits and like, did you not know, know oh, that. I'm Catwoman. Yeah, man, the 80s were wild. So <laughs> it's it's a bummer. I think that she probably is a better actress than her career would let on. Yeah. But I can't be sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I only really... really have a couple, a handful of performances to, sure. to pull from, but I think this one is very good. She manages to portray a level of humanity from a character who isn't, you know, she's a replicant, Yeah, but she's not aware of that initially. Like when the movie starts, she does not know that she is in yeah. fact a replicant. And it is only in her finding it out that she comes to that humanity of yeah. being afraid and, you know, turning to Deckard for some sort of help and a, a respite from how she's, you know how she's processing all this and i thought she did a really good job like i yeah you can definitely see her take the term from like robotic you know in the beginning when he meets her and she's just answering all these questions and just kind of like staring directly at him and things like that to you know she takes a turn and 
wait a minute. Like she has like an earth shattering yeah. like revelation. And giving and giving credence to the fact that someone could fall in love with her. Like it's not just like right. Harrison Ford sees a beautiful woman and he's like, Oh, I'm in love with you. She actually becomes humanized. Right. And it's it's very good. Like I, I thought it was quite the performance for what was expected from a role that again probably should have used more screen time, but it's she still did a very good job, like with what she what she had. I agree. I liked her in the movie. Yeah, I thought she was the best performance in the film. Like almost hands down. Yeah, even the piano part too. Some of the, the, some of the piano yeah. part like that. Like just yeah, there's some really good scenes in that movie that she really takes it takes it over. So, but uh, you know, and you talk about Edward James Olmos's character, and almost like he got wasted in Blade Runner twenty forty nine too. Like yeah, he has one scene in that movie too. Yeah, just to show up on screen and make a fucking unicorn. Like yeah. what are we doing with you, man? <laughs> What yeah. a fucking waste. And he looked like a referee. Yeah, in the retired Blade Runner home, yeah. wherever the fuck he's at, just hanging out and is like waiting for his pills and pudding. Like, <laughs> it's just it's, it's pills it's and shit. pudding and Edward things James to almost has been done dirty by this by this franchise. Yeah, and I I demand justice. <laughs> he shouldn't be just a teacher in a hashtag uh, justice for EJO. <laughs> I shouldn't know him. Ju- I shouldn't know him as just a teacher in L.A. Right? Yeah, man. How is he going to reach these kids? <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, Not that that movie doesn't rule. I, I love that stupid. You idea. want to transition into the under kind of into Blade Runner twenty forty nine or yeah, I think yeah. I think the plot of this movie and it being underdeveloped or under under discussed is thrown out the window when we get to the sequel because the sequel takes this movie from the subject of the movie, not just the aesthetic because it does that too. The actual plot of this film. And expands it in all the ways I wanted. Like set up, set us up with twenty forty nine first before we talk about it. Link. All right. So twenty or Blade Runner twenty forty nine takes place in twenty forty nine. Well, um, well like, as, who, who made it? Yeah. So it was made by Dennis Vin. I can never say his name. Oh, it's all French name. Right? Yeah. It's villain villain wave. Villain wave. Villain wave. Yeah. Villain And he he directs it. And really, Scott is the executive producer of it. It's written by the same people that yeah. wrote Blade Runner, though, which I thought yeah. was cool. Like, yeah. I'm so, glad that they found those guys. Yeah, and it, it definitely helped the movie. Yeah, so Hampton Fit, uh, Fashionar, and Michael Green, and a little bit. I don't think people's had anything on this part. Or no, he yeah, he has small. Part I think he had credit. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he gets credit in this in the script. Yes, he does. And so, but Hampton um, Fashionar Fanshner is, is the main writer in this movie, and it sets in. Where a new Blade Runner and so we're thirty years in the future. Yeah, thirty years in the future, and this is after all the original replicants were just were just kind of dissolved, if you will. And Kay, who played played by Ryan Gosling, is a replicant who is hunting down some of the older units. Yeah, so, so he's, he's a, a Blade Runner, and he is also a himself yeah. a replicant. Mm-hmm. He's a new model. He's so a new model who's totally sub, sub, subservient. Yep, yeah. Thank yep. you. One of the opening scenes is. He goes and finds a soldier who's part of the original. Uh, there's a movement among replicants that we we'll get to a little bit later, and it's played by uh, David or Dave Bautista, who plays the character Sapper Morton. And so, you see, originally, like in the original movie, a kick-ass scene to start with, like a lot of violence. Yeah, you know, especially my necessary violence. Like yeah, there, is, there yeah. is a difference to yes. be made between what is what is needed and what is not. And this movie does not does not go overboard with where it needs it. But we're talking about without going through the entire right. plot right. Of, ever seen by scene. It's taking all of the questions and all of the subject of what that movie should have been talking about more, and it's starting with it. Yeah. Like no, right. we're talking about we're talking about the ethics of what a replicant is and how they live and what their place is in the world. And adding to it the wrinkle of a replicant hunting other replicants. Yeah. And, you know, Batista spinning to him, you know, like, what 
what it is to be human and what the difference is between the two of them and how would he be able to know since Brian Ryan Gosling is a replicant that doesn't have the same function that Batista has like what is expected of him to act in these situations and like how how can he do what he does you know what I mean like they're yeah. They're posing right at the top some heavy shit. Yeah, about they the, lay it all right out on yeah, the table immediately. In, just in the conversation between the two of them. And I think one of the most like poignant parts for me is like right before Kay, who is Ryan Gosling's character, caps Dave Bautista. Uh, he's like, Sapper asked him, "How does it feel to kill your own kind?" He just doesn't have a response because he's just yeah he doesn't feel anything about it like yeah. that's that's his whole thing is he was engineered and created to be subservient and obey this model of replicant that Sapper was what has become a person essentially just living and farming and they even have a comment where he's growing garlic just for himself so like he has tastes he has things that he likes and does for himself and they do it all in a very it's only what would you say like a 15 minute scene not even 10 minutes 10 15 minutes but they throw a lot out there and do a good job of setting the scene and there's action in it yeah which is really cool you know and sapper's just trying to live a quiet existence off the grid and leave himself and just do his thing and be a farmer Kay kind of calls him out as like pointing out to him hey you're you were ju- you're just like everybody else and right and then when kind of given the hint of the discovery underneath the tree which will we don't have to spoil the entire this movie is yeah, newer but, i don't want to spoil it for everybody yeah, i but, just wanted to definitely though bring up that this movie begins by setting up the story that blade runner the original hints at and right. then it follows through. Like the thing that makes this movie such a great sequel is that it's taking all of the elements of the original movie and then expanding on everything that was underserved. In the in the way that I wanted. In a right. way same. that it like totally seated, like same. what I wanted for it. And I will say too, before you go into this, Roger, is I thought that the story that they used to drive this plot along and talk about these things was way better than just Blade Runner falls in love with like a woman yeah. replicant. What's like, interesting <clears throat> is though you can't do it without that movie happening because right, they right. make it so yeah. integral to the yeah. storytelling. Yeah, it's and very, that's great. Very that's like a, that's a great way to do that. But I just thought that the choice that they made to you know I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not I'm not going to go too far into spoilers. But if you've seen it, obviously you know what I'm talking about. Like the whole plot device that drives along the story of how Kay explores this and how this the story unfolds. Um, and why it's unfolding the way it is, I think that that lent itself a lot better to talking about like ethics and things yeah. like that. As well as, I mean, you could really drive action into anything when you're sure. talking about like superhuman. And you get people, to have so. all of your set pieces too. Like exactly. this movie is gorgeous. Oh yeah, like it's, great. it's stupid how good this fucking movie looks. It's really horny, which is like something I guess I wasn't expecting. Well, Ryan but I should in be it, so. sure. You know, I, it was fine. All right, I knew right off the rip that it was going to be a horny <laughs> I knew, movie. I knew for, right off the rip me. that I would be horny when I was watching <laughs> it. There, are, it's not perfect, and that's not really why we're here. We're not here to talk about all of 2049. I wanted though to. It bears mention to discuss it a little bit. It's such a wonderful spiritual successor to the original Blade Runner. So vastly different, despite it being so the same. Yeah, like it. It takes it takes for fucking ever, which is like my <sighs> small know. issue with this movie. I like long movies. I do. And I I don't have a problem with slow pacing and a lot of things, but this takes a little too much time to kind of get from point A to point yeah. F because there I are a lot of, of points to make it I to. I kind of feel like that's because they chose to do 
both things. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Yes, and give it... They were afforded the time, though. It's, yeah. It is because of the sins of Blade Runner failing originally that they get to make this now. Yeah. Because the movie became such a, a beholden classic that they get to make this movie and make right. it with because a they giant never would have dialogue driven and probably a giant budget yep, too and yep. they wouldn't have been allowed to do that no. if Blade Runner didn't come before it so thank you Blade Runner OG sure but I'm, I have a question did Ridley Scott work on this one at all he's a producer he's a producer yeah cuz i kind of feel like if these were the same writers like this is probably like kind of like the movie that they wanted to make. i imagine like, that is initially true. without like yeah. too much head this feels you know? like the yeah. movie that would would have been made it, it's the the part from the beginning that sets up the whole servant and even like in terms of even the inner conflict between the replicants and the humans too is the entire and i'm again i'm not trying to spoil it too much but the test he has to come back to when he gets back from that raid, from yeah, like the modified, the modified, oh yeah, and I think that's something that could like it was like it was a take on the original test. They were testing for replicants and just kind of like in making sure that they're suburban, make sure that they're submissive. They're still still dealing with, um, they're still obeying the humans, what have you. And so in that movie, the humans were still in control, but just kind of like turn the screws on them. But then characters like Love who is the assistant to Jerry Leto's character uh, for the Wallace Corporation, Wallace himself, makes it kind of realize that we're like still in the control, but I, 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 I don't know. Like, I, I think that it, it expanded on it a little bit with the, the, app, the replicants being much more powerful, showing that they could do anything they wanted to do, but still loss of control. They, they, gave, them a, they gave them a bigger freedom of latitude yeah. like, as far as like a... As an exploration of their of their usefulness, yeah, like right. they they could be more realized. Like they these are newer models, right? These are Nexus yeah. eights and forward. So they are they are more they're more attuned to what people want and need, and there is more of a reliance on them and technology in general in this future than there was then. But they are also still at the like at the behest of people, so they're still underneath people. But there's a there's a there's a path right there is a path that would lead you to believe that it couldn't it might not stay this way yeah yeah well, like yeah they're they're on a lot shorter of a leash I'd exactly say too yeah. and they even i mean they give that away right in the beginning like or they heavily hint at it when Kay's character goes home he's done this baseline test it's determined that he's pretty much void of emotion from answering all these questions but he goes home and you see that he has like an AI hologram companion at home, a woman who he is like basically fantasizing is like his wife making him dinner. So it's yeah. like, OK, you're a replicant, you're... void of emotion, but you go home and you have this very human thing that right. you want to come home to. You are yeah. a replicant with human needs. Yes, yeah. with human needs. Yeah. But then they also like talk to him and they're like asking him about his childhood memories. And he's like, well, they're fake. Like he just knows. You yeah, know, he knows what they, they are. are. So it's different, like because they're later models. So they've changed the way they treat these replicants, but also changed what they do. They're hunting their own kind. But I don't know. I've, I'm getting a little far off the rails here. But yeah, I just I thought that the, I actually enjoyed this movie a lot more than I did the original one. And even in spite of it being three hours long, which historically for me personally, anything over two hours is like ugh, get on with it. But 
I did. I think I enjoyed the ride a lot more than I did with the original Blade Runner, and largely is just because they expanded those two conflicting things. Is this an action movie or is this a movie exploring like ethics of the human, like human element of this? They were more realized in this film, like ten times more realized than they were in the original Blade Runner. And it still carries the bird, or still carries that these replicants have strong emotions. Case in point, when when love has couple scenes where she's furious and angry right, yeah, and that actually is yeah and that to me is the underrated part of the blade like, that kind of ties it back together about blade runner they are showing the type of what the the, the fear like the range of emotions they have and i think that's very vastly underrated across both films because it changes the perception of what people think of ro- ra- ro- or robots androids those kind of things AI. AI, artificial yeah. intelligence, what have you, and it and sets the tone. I think it really does a good job of saying, "Look, if you're not careful, this is what could happen." But I don't like the, the raw emotional part of it, just how raw they are mm. and how fully developed they're not. I mean, you mentioned it just now with Ryan K's character. It's kind of really kind of like hunky dory, like, "Oh, I wish I had a girl, you know, wife that I could come home to and cook me dinner and." dress things up and it's a very elemental point of view versus love who knows that she's kind of screwed being this guy's assistant but she'll do anything she can to defend him she has a love for him is no that love intended. i don't i, oh, I, mean, yeah, I think that's know. why that's the character is named that way if we're yeah. gonna get like super examinatory of this which we all avoid but yeah. the naming conventions of this movie are laid pretty bare like his wife's or his his companion's name is joy joy yeah. so like that's yeah. that's pretty nakedly obvious like there's there's not a lot of subtext in this movie but i actually appreciate it about it because that's it's laying bare all the things that the first movie kind of hint at yeah. and that's why this is so effective yeah. like I, I i'll ask you then since you obviously like the first one more than the two of us in watching this movie do you come away feeling differently about the first one having seen this like does it make the viewing experience of the original any better or worse i guess first do you like this movie and then second how does it make the old one feel to you now i had to watch it a second time to kind of process everything because the first time i watched it with a friend of mine and i was very mad about jerry leto sure appearance in the movie i thought he was pretty good but i i am historically not a fan of jerry leto but if he's going to be on screen i was okay with him in this Generally speaking. But upon further reflection and thinking about the movie, I think it really makes the first movie a lot better. I think if, okay. you, if you don't make if you don't make this movie, you have this weird taste in your mouth. It's like it doesn't it doesn't feel completed. But now if they don't make another Blade Runner, which I know they won't, but if they don't make another Blade Runner They're talking about yeah, it. They might. Yeah, they might. Yeah, they might. But if they do, I think if they need another movie, this is kind of a way to this is the movie it should have like you I think I think Lacey said it best. This is what the movie it should have been. It, movies now are becoming two or three hours, and that's becoming acceptable. Right. Now, because with that caveat, that is allowed to happen. And I think that makes the first movie, it, makes, it answers all my questions. And also, eternally speaking, it really just continues a world that I think exists out there and, and continues that visual. The, the sweeping, breathtaking shots and everything, it made all – it, it set that up, and in my mind now – that world exists. And this movie does, it does really great with the source material of yeah. just the, the setting and like the, the decrepitude of, of the setting in the movie that they're in the world that they're in, like, and more so because it looks better now. Like right. we can do more visually than we could in 1982. I, I really appreciate what uh Villeneuve gets accomplished with making this movie because it's for the problems I do have with it. And I won't get into it crazy because we're not really here to talk about that. Right. But for the problems I do have with it, the overwhelming satisfaction I felt after finishing this movie was such that I reassessed kind of how I felt about the original Blade Runner. I found I like the original one even less 
because this movie was so good. I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. yeah I and really... it's, it's, not, it's not a failure of the original movie to be better than I wanted it to be. It's the success of this movie being so much better than the original. But then, like, I can't be mad because without the original, this one doesn't happen. It, it's a weird kind of, like, Ouroboros of feeling, like, conflicted about it. I just feel like this movie is just leaps and bounds better than the source material, and I'm glad it exists. Like yeah, I, I, I like put off watching that. it forever. It's the first time I watched it was this week, and I'm glad I watched it. It was exceptional. This was the first time I watched it, too, and not because I was putting it off, but because I really had like no interest. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really care about the first Blade Runner. I rewatched it just for this podcast, obviously, and... Then I watched the sequel and I was like, you know what? That was actually a really good movie and I really enjoyed it. So, but I agree with you. Like the first one felt kind of boring to me, even if it was visually beautiful and, you know, there was a lot of good things about it, but not enough to make me say that I really, really liked it. This one quenched my thirst that it like it. Yeah. Where the first one left me wanting, this one did it for me. I, I was happy that I watched it. Like it I was happy that I watched it even though we weren't really gonna spend too much time talking about it. I took the three hours <laughs> of my life. But no, it it I liked this one a lot. I thought it was you know, better, to be honest. I so. I, I think the, the the intention was to fix the mistakes that the original one did. Okay, and, and, yeah, and that's like fair. to really to cap it off why I thought Blade Runner Someone in some elements overrated. I, I I understand that, and I I understand why in terms of plot story, in terms of even Harrison Ford's performance, I get it. But at the same time, even in Harrison Ford, maybe tried harder in this movie. I don't know. I thought he was great in yeah. this movie. Yeah, like, he, he was really really good. Yeah, and conveyed everything I thought he should have been doing in the first one. And I think <laughs> I, I think his I think it's because that's thirty years after his love of his life is gone. Sure. You you come so, from a different point of view on it. You yeah, know what I mean, like yeah. I get it. That later on, it makes his character would be a different character. Yeah, and that's where I think even I, I think that, like I said, I think that's this movie made that other movie make a lot more sense to me. Whether what whatever version you have, but and so I still think that Blade Runner in the grand scheme of things is still in terms of a like purely story standpoint. I still think it's vastly underrated because it was underserved in the first one. Okay, that- I mean, I'll definitely acknowledge like it's a compelling story. But I just don't think the movie did made it compelling. You know what I mean? I think the movie kind of like screwed itself over by kind of splitting the story between, you know, by splitting, like I said, between like it, are, it didn't know if it was an action movie or like a character study, you know. So that's where I think it screwed itself over. Yeah. I mean, I thought I mean, visually stunning, of course. Influential. Yes. Is it a is it a night is it a interesting story to think about you know the ethics of creating like people for your you know to exploit them Yes, that's compelling. I want to hear more about it, and I also want to see an action movie. Thank you, Blade Runner two thousand forty nine. <laughs> I did like the lot more pace, and I, I think that if we the grand scheme of things, Blade Runner. After listening to this discussion and having this discussion. I understand why people think the way they do about Blade Runner. It makes perfect sense. And even I didn't need to have that discussion to, to come to that conclusion. Well, it helps, though. I well, mean, it does. Well, it yeah. does. At the same time, I think... I'd like to think it helps, or else why are we doing it? Yeah, no, it definitely helps. <laughs> but for, for everybody else out there who's listening, at least some of the comments about this, too. What are your impressions of Blade Runner? But also, more importantly, what deeper meanings do you get out of Blade Runner? What do you see in there that's just not just a sci-fi movie with action and cool, you know, futuristic technology? There's there's a lot more to it. Like, I get why people love Blade Runner. I, I do. I do I still, understand I it. I like, never will. <laughs> it's a cool movie. It's yeah. it's weird. It's cool to look at. I get why people like it. I just 
it's not for like me. The, I get. The, I I I'm wanted sorry, like I said, I wanted it to go in either direction or both directions better, and it just didn't do that for me. Okay. I get why it is influential because visually it's it's amazing. beautiful, yeah. But I don't understand the naked defense of a movie that isn't actually good. Like the performances are fine. Like I said, the performances are all good, but the main performance lacks. The story is muddled at places. There's 17 different versions of the movie, so it's yeah. hard to say which one is better than the other one. Yeah, we're talking about two you have to movies. watch all of them if you <laughs> need to make sense of any of it. There's a whole other movie if you add deleted scenes into it. The endings are questionable in any cut you see. The editing is actually kind of bad. I didn't even talk about that, which is not something we're going to get into hugely. It's choppy at places. I think the action scenes you do get are kind of fucked by the poor editing. Like There's too many cuts in places that are bad where you're cutting away from something happening. And I feel like it's obfuscating like special effects tricks or something that they're trying to put Mm -hmm. in. But the shots look bad. Like the action suffers for this, and that's part of the reason I think the action is bad. Like, no, no, that, that part I can't disagree with you on whatsoever because that shot, the scene where the um the gentleman gets shot by uh, Rachel, that was a weird cut. There's more than one. It happens no, no, there's, in almost there's, every single action yeah. sequence. When when Leon is fighting Deckard, there's a whole bunch of really bad cuts around yeah. punches and movement that just look awkward. Yeah, you know, like you're cutting away from someone's hand coming just up to Harrison Ford's face. And then it's cutting to a connection, and it just looks so off. Like yeah. the, the, yeah, the shots don't match up the right way. Like I'm not a film editor, but I've watched enough fucking movies to know how a fight is supposed to look. It looks terrible. Even the running in the sh- the sh- uh, when running through with, the glass yeah. and wearing a fucking that was wig. That, I'm like, sorry, that was terrible. And even like the way the blood comes up out of her. Yeah, like, man. Yeah, like looked- there's there's so much about this movie as a as a actual movie that I cannot defend, and that is why I get mad about it when people are angry at me for not liking it. It's not good. Like. The point-to-point making a movie part of this movie is bad. But, but the it, aesthetic is what rules this movie, and I respect that that is important. Yeah. and, and I, reason, I do. And the reason why I look overlook those things is because some of my favorite movies of all time have some really crappy... You're totally right. And I, 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 def- I respect that, because I defend a lot of really shitty things because I love them too, and that's, that's a failure on me to be there with this movie. I, I respect that. No. I and just I, can't get there with it. But, but, but you watch movies completely different than I do. So I, sure. I, really, I, I respect the, techni- the technicality of how you see it, those things, and you pay attention to those little things. Sometimes. I, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I don't either. Or sometimes we rewind, rewind a scene where somebody gets hit in the back of the head when they go in a dumpster. You don't see what I'm talking about. I mean, let's see. Yeah. That scene. Watch Barry, The Last Dragon, everybody. Yeah, it's Barry the Gordon, yeah, Barry, Barry Gordon's The Last Dragon. <laughs> Let's not. Let's not. Yeah, let's just leave it where yeah, it is. Well, yeah. Anyways. Just watch the last dragon. It's yeah. a classic. So, final thoughts about this movie, Dave. So, do you think it's still over after all of this discussion? After all this back and forth between the two, between the three of us, really watching Blade Runner, just fresh off watching Blade Runner twenty forty nine. What are your final thoughts about Blade Runner? I will say that having now seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I actually did get a chance to reassess the original Blade Runner. I still feel that it is overrated. But I have a new respect for the parts of the movie I didn't like a lot before. I now like a little more. Like the plot stuff that I thought really failed in the original have been fleshed out in a way that I super liked. And I'm glad it existed because I, without the original one, the sequel doesn't happen. So I think the sequel being so good has made me kind of like the original more. But I'm still, I still think it's overrated. Like it's, it's not a matter of legacy. This movie's legacy is unimpeachable. Like it's... It's important. It's very integral to sci-fi storytelling. 
in all manner of media. That being said, I still think it's overrated. So maybe I've moved down from vastly overrated to slightly overrated. And I, I suppose that's progress. Lacey? So I, I suppose I'll I'll say I think Blade Runner, the original, was overrated. I I really liked the second one. Like I did. I liked I liked 2049 a lot. I thank it for being a, you know, springboard for that movie. And I understand and it was beautiful to watch, you know, kind of same thoughts basically as Dave, but I just really wish that it took what it had in front of it, like as far as the story and made it a little bit more co- cohesive as opposed to just kind of being like watered two different like watered down stories which is what it felt like to me i'll i'm gonna say it's overrated like slightly overrated and wildly overrated by the fanatics who are like way more into it than they should be but yeah i really liked 2049 so i'm i'm i mean i'm glad it quenched was around to quench my thirst here in defense of blade runner fans though you will never be worse than star wars fans so you guys have that going for you even the most ardent Blade Runner people that I have met aren't super shitty about these franchises right. the same way that other fandom is. Yeah, right, fair enough. So I'm taking a shot at Star Wars. To be fans. fair, the only two like hardcore Blade Runner fans I know are Roger and my mom. So like, I don't really have like seriously. Your mom's mom, a hardcore Blade Runner. Fan? She loves this movie. Really? When I That's told awesome. her I was recording it, her exact response was Blade Runner, <laughs> and she like got all like excited, and I was like, Yeah, it's kind of like her. That, that was my initial reaction. She got Lori on here. Yeah, it was my initial reaction when Dave told me we're going to do Blade Runner. I'm like, I think Blade she was like, I yeah. think she was like taking a drink of something. She was like, mm, and she spit it mm, out, Blade Runner, and like <laughs> lost it. And I was like, yeah, I gotta watch Blade Runner. Well, for, hell yeah, show. you know. So I don't, re- I don't think I've ever had like a real like, yeah, you know, I. <laughs> no matter how much I argue about something with my mom, she's not going to get mean. Sure, you know, <laughs> we we inhabit different corners of the internet. <laughs> yeah, I've had a do. longer time to talk about this with film nerds and sci-fi nerds, and I don't talk about nerd anything nerds. with with film nerds except for like you. Like sure. you're the only yeah. film nerd that I ever really go in on stuff, and <laughs> mostly I'm just listening to you explain stuff because I've said time and time again that I'm not like a huge movie watcher. Yeah, so I don't care. Uh, Roger, yeah. you're you hosted, you end this. Yeah, how do you well, feel? hosting? Oh, I hope Roger. I hope it went well. I you I know what? I wasn't too mean. As no. we both, I like how it's the first over under fair episode you hosted, and both Rat, oh, Dave and I are like, Mm-mm. no, <laughs> this movie sucks, Roger. I will <laughs> say my with you. I, that, that's fine. I, I'll stick by my original assessment. It's uh, fairly rated. The story does, like I said, I mean, there's some parts of the story that lack. There is some editing, what have you, but I don't care. Um, I can overlook that because the sheer brilliance of the visuals, um, the brilliance of Ridley Scott, and all the versions putting it together, when you see all the versions, after all the versions going, okay, that makes sense. Sticking, I mean, he didn't have, the at the time, the clout to have the ability to make the final call. That's a very fair point. So I think if he wanted the way it done, it could have been a completely different box office draw. But so blame executives because a lot of those executives are asses. And we'll post. We'll say we'll we'll have the notes for you too. But I I personally think this is fairly rated. I think it's the the influence is strong and I can't ignore it. And it's influenced a lot of things that I've watched. Uh, and it's also got me into reading more Philip K. Dick. Yeah, uh, his books are really well done. His character development, the way he develops characters, make you think a lot. And you know, really, it's it, it's a profound influence. I get where you're coming from, Dave, and I get where you're coming from, Lacey, because it is 2049 is very, very kind of like really it's just going still going, but it ties it all well together. And and I hope and I'm glad that the Blade Runner franchise hasn't been cheapened. 
by what you see in Star Wars, by Star Wars fans right now, where they have all this BS and all this, you know, these fans getting out of hand. Blade Runner fans are hardcore, don't get me wrong, but Blade Runner fans are also not shit, like you said earlier. They also only have two movies, and, and yeah. only yeah, had and one like for a long, long time. Yeah, and stuff and some comics, yeah. I think, to yeah. go along with it. But I, yeah, maybe not, it was wrong of me to take a shot at other fandoms, but that's... All no, things, no, 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 all you're, absolutely being right. fair. You're, you're absolutely right. You're all things being fair, though, it's one, it's two movies. All like, things being fair, though, all fandoms can be shitbags. No, you are totally right. Keepers. Yeah. Yep, and, no, you're not wrong. Steadfast. Yeah. You can find a shitbag in every corner of the internet, any fandom. True. I like the way you said gatekeepers, too, because it's totally right. And Blade Runner hasn't been, you know, uh, I guess, over overdone yet. And I'm waiting for the Blade Runner theme park in 20 years. <laughs> and then by then, I'll be yelling at And it'll, in 2049, you're going to go yeah. to the... To the Blade Runner theme park, and there will be five more movies, and you'll be old, and it'll be fun. Yeah, and I'll still yell at the clouds, though. I'll be that guy. Yeah. I'll be that guy with my cane. He's so. a, you're in your gaff uh, costume. Yeah, I, I will have say, a gaff. I see. I definitely see the future of you looking like gaff in this movie, and I'm perfectly fine with it. If I get seen enough, I will dress up like gaff. That's always been like a, a secret. It's fun to wear hats. Yeah, it's fun to wear hats, and I can pull off hats well. I do have a hat face for it. So, but <laughs> got a face for hats. I got a face for hats. I do have a face for hats. So. <laughs> You know what we we ha- we like faces on our comments and sections. <laughs> so you like that segue? Nice. I would love for people <laughs> to yeah. argue with us on the internet. Yes, about so, Blade Runner. So please do follow us on, subscribe to us on Spotify, Podbeam, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on it. We're part of the Make Fun Network. Proud members of the Make Fun Network. And check out all the great content. They have a show about cats, Dave. What other, what other great content does? Uh, so what? Uh, so Encyclopedia Comica is like the new one, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like the, the new hotness? Encyclocomica, yeah. I there think it is. It's okay. well done. I've listened to an episode. Yeah, really so stuff. we got yeah. that. The Kitty Cat Pawscast, as you made reference to. Uh, top 5 of Death, This Rules, This Sucks, and Us. We're all here. Um, check out the Facebook page, too. We have a group there. If you just search Make Fun Network, engage in discussion with a bunch of nerds about a bunch of shit. So it's not just Blade Runner. It's video games and movies and music and all sorts of stuff and uh yeah we got conversations for you on twitter too if you want to hit us up at over under fair on twitter over under fair pod at gmail.com yeah get in touch with us like we we're happy to talk about this shit with you so talk to us about it and talk to yourself and talk to your friends and talk to your loved ones talk to everybody about blade runner it's, it's an important film whether you like it or not no it is it definitely is and whatever take you have on it we, we appreciate it we appreciate the, all the comment support and also we have a Patreon, too. We, we do have to, a Patreon. We, we haven't about really it. talked a ton about it. but, yeah, but we uh, talked about it on the break. We didn't. We'll talk about it real quick briefly yeah. here at the bottom. Uh, if you subscribe at $3 a month for just us, we're the Over Under Fun bonus show, you will submit topics to us on Patreon. We'll survey from time to time, and we'll talk about like two or three things in an episode kind of at length, and we'll give it the Over Under Fair treatment. We'll talk about whether or not we feel coming into it, it was overrated or underrated, and then we'll kind of talk about it and figure out where we think it fits in the general zeitgeist of pop culture topics. And we will do that for you for any number of topics. Could be a favorite record or maybe a you know a favorite movie, something a little smaller than like a big giant thing. But we can do for a smaller movie what we did for Blade Runner. It just wouldn't take three hours. We'd probably give you like 20 minutes. But either way... That's what we're looking for. We want you to give us topics for us to talk about, and you will get that for $3 a month. Or you can subscribe at the $10 a month uh, tier, which still has some openings. There was only a limited number of spots there, but if you do it for 10 bucks, you get our bonus show. You get a top five of death uh, live recording peek-in, so you can like talk to them while they're recording and get in on their feed and bullshit with the dudes while they're recording their stuff. And there's a This Rules, This Sucks bonus show. 
And I think those are all the bonus shows, but also some other stuff. You'd have to check out the Patreon. I don't have all the particulars in front of me, but that's what it is. It's bonus content. Three bucks for us or ten dollars for the whole shebang. For a price of for a price of a bucket of chicken. We'll get all that Fucking money. A. Yeah. A bucket of bonus. Maybe because I'm hungry I said that, but still. Probably. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> for myself, I'm Raj Garcia alongside me, Dave Roldan. Yep. And Lisa McGraw. Bye. And we'll see you next time. Happy podcast listening. <laughs>